Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I guess, I don't know, (laughs) wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, we're here for you, making your life better, we're going to try to help in any way we can, being in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week brooklyn and rx bar and hymns they're bringing the show to you dlc of course the show all about games and their many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles also games that involve dice luck and cardboard i am your host jeff canada that's spelled with two n's and one t and i am joined as always by my friend slash co-host Slash nemesis, the guy who's always running circles around me, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. It's only because we're on a track and you're standing in the middle, and I'm just like, uh, I can't. Also, in case our listeners are wondering, Jeff is already humming and whistling Christmas songs. So, uh, happy December, everybody. It's 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 the most wonderful time of the year. It's the holiday season. How could you not whistle holidays? To I mean, you say that it like was, it's a bad thing. No, I mean, I I was in my Street Fighter Christmas sweater pre-December 1, but like mm-hmm. December 1, you walked in and were like, <laughs> like, just yeah. out of the gate. I, like, you got to have it, man. I got, we got that. We put up the Christmas tree last night. We got, I put up <clears throat> half of the, uh, the lights on our house. That's all I you need. Good. Okay. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't finish, couldn't finish the job in time before the, the sun went down. Uh, but I got that staple gun out. I'm stapling my house with lights. It's, you know, it's the most wonderful time. Uh, and it is a wonderful time because we have lots of games to talk about. Uh, it's going to be a good one. I, this is a special episode. We ha- I have a, a special recorded um, tabletop time that we're going to drop in at the end uh, with Actual Law, the, the, um, John Perkis from, from Actual Law. Uh, you're going to not want to miss that. It's a special we're talking about games you should maybe have on your on your holiday wish list if you're into that, or maybe you want to get for somebody else or just want to play. And on top of everything else, we have a very special guest, a guest who uh, is it's often very difficult to have on the show because of time zones. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm so excited because DLC stands for Dorsal Land Contributor because Dorsal is a Finn and from oh, Finland, oh, that right? Is incredible. I, <laughs> we I got was looking we, forward to that one, but I, I'm amazed. We got our friend. You know him from oh, all over the internet. Uh, uh, Daily Tech News show, his own shows, 
It's Patrick Beja. Hey, Patrick. Welcome hey, back. How's it going? I'm so glad uh, you guys adapted to my schedule uh, to for me to be able to do the show, given the time difference. Um, I, I always look forward to the show from the delightfully lovable couple that I prefer on the internet. See what I did ah. there? Thank you. Thank you. I'm really glad to be on the show. Uh, it's oh. always a pleasure. Well, we are glad to have you. Uh, and let's uh, let's jump right in. We got stuff to talk about. Let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration or chat about stuff, hang out with like-minded folks by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Patrick, you are our guest. You get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? So I have a problem here, um, kind of a conundrum. I, I have a story of the week. But it's not in the rundown that you put together. Is that allowed? Is there some it kind is. of law that prevents me from picking another story? No, this is why we invite folks like you, because what you're bringing rundown? stuff to the show. We do this <laughs> off the top of our head. There's exactly. no rundown. Yes. Sorry, ruin it. From, yeah. Yes. So the story of the week that I'm, I'm uh, choosing from my own head is uh, actually the fact that Nintendo has canceled their uh, creators program. They're much... Right much uh, uh uh i would say controversial creators program i think that's a pretty big deal yeah the uh the nintendo uh hammer that has been employed <laughs> liberally to sort of prevent people from making money off of their ip is being uh they're loosening it up they're a kind of uh, just in time for super smash brothers it, it it's a coincidence i'm sure yes of course <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah this is a, this is a huge deal especially for content creators like ourselves and and people on the internet that love to consume content um it has always been a tricky situation with nintendo because they have been uh, very strict about how you use their ip but uh, that's all changing, right, Patrick? Yeah, I think, you know, for those who don't know, um, Nintendo was possibly the only company in the world, video game company in the world, that didn't allow you to create, uh, like to do streaming or to do YouTube videos for, you know, without paying them for the privilege. And so you, if you wanted to do that, you needed to enroll in their creators program and they would take 40% of your revenue on top of what, you know, every other platform already takes. Um, and, and only then would you be allowed to use their games for your content. And there had always been kind of a, um, you know, debatable rights or legality about this because who, owns the content that is created? Do you change it enough for it to be fair use? Or do they actually still still own the uh, intellectual property on the content you create because it's so heavily based on their own intellectual property? I'm sure former lawyer Christian Spicer will be able to clear that up entirely for us. But um, the, the, fact, the fact that they were the only one doing something like this, even though arguably some other companies would have had the right to, and the fact that they're now they have decided to stop means that the the issue is kind of actually settled. Maybe not legally, but uh, practically, it's settled because no one is asking anyone for money in order to be streaming games or anything like that. And at some point a few years ago, it was a question. So I think it's a pretty big deal. 
Yeah, certainly that is the case in in the sense that uh, a lot of people looked at Nintendo's position as an antiquated one, that they kind of weren't recognizing the value that streamers bring to their IP. But you could argue that their position could have been one that actually paved the way for more IP holders to have more strict control over their IP and actually monetize it in a way that benefits them and kind of uh, maintains, uh, you know, strict control over over their messaging, over how their their characters and IP are used. And you could have, it could have really created a sea change if they had, you know, forced the issue and more companies had followed suit, you might have seen this be, instead of an antiquated idea, uh, the precursor to something that is a, a little more, uh, um, a little less liberal as far, yes, as far as what, what people can create online. But I think you're right. I think them acquiescing to trends really potentially puts this to rest and, and uh, opens the door for a, a lot of Nintendo based streamers to, uh, because, you know, like you're talking about with the, with the way the revenue was working, it really was very difficult for anybody to make any money uh, with that kind of a split. So maybe you'll see a, a, the, an explosion of Nintendo content online. I suspect that might be the case. I think especially with smash, as you hinted at earlier, um, this is definitely for smash. They're, they're saying, uh, and by the way, if you want to know how much the way people communicate or companies communicate is important, I'm sure many people haven't heard about this because the only way they communicated this was a single tweet on, I don't know, Thursday evening. And that was it. And it wasn't a big deal at all. And they didn't want it to be a big deal. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm sure they didn't make a lot of money themselves because if they did, they would have found a way to keep it. But certainly this is to encourage people to stream Smash. I, I'm sure it's 90% for Smash. Well, Christian, my understanding is that you are uh, currently uh, able to give legal advice and we should all take it as gospel. And uh, <laughs> my, there's no disclaimer needed for you to weigh in on this. That's my understanding, at least. That's 100% accurate. Yeah, I just act- reactivated my law licenses before this episode. I had a feeling this topic would come up. So and I also just took um, the bar in every state in the United States, too. And I got the results today. Um, oh, took it today. Good. Yeah, It's good timing. Good timing. I passed all of them except for uh, South Dakota, apparently. I don't know what happened there, but everything else, I'm good to go. So <laughs> if you live in South Dakota, this is not legal advice, but everywhere. <laughs> um, I, I, I wonder... I think Smash plays a big part in this, and I also wonder how much time and effort it took to do the accounting for this stuff. I don't know how many people were in the creator program. You know, cer- people certainly were streaming Nintendo games without being in it, and in those instances, Nintendo just claimed copyright and they, you know, ran ads on your content. So people could still have Nintendo content online, you just couldn't monetize it. Um, And I'm sure there were some instances of Nintendo, you know, issuing strikes and putting takedowns out, but it would be out there would just be Nintendo running the ad on it. And I I wonder the realities of running this program, how many people were in it, uh, who's in charge of all the accounting for giving those 40% and payroll and having records for the creators to then want to see that percentage so, cut. I mean, it seems like a lot of work. Some for... poor schmuck in, in the Nintendo basement was like, please stop it. It's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, who, who, who has to take care of all this accounting? It's a me. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if that was part of it or not, but I imagine it's, you know, a decent amount of work for not a, a lot of people and or revenue that it's bringing in. And I'm sure... You know, Nintendo takes their time with things. So over the last 
10 years, they've realized that that streaming in its current form generally is not the enemy. There are always outliers. And how much are you going to fight something, even if it is legally questionable? Um, the case hasn't been tried. And I imagine how long can something happen before you do try that case? And everybody's like, we kind of have let it happen for the last 20 years already. You can't, you kind of can't put that back in its can. So uh, I think it's good, though. And hopefully we do see more content coming and then hopefully we see super mario maker switch coming also because that's what we really want right that's what we yeah really want. right yeah for sure i think that would be uh, an awesome i mean it's it's perfect for streaming right those and the fact that this happened during that game's heyday is pretty <laughs> right but uh yeah interesting stuff uh christian what do you got for story of the week um okay well i i I want to talk about two things, but I think we'll get to another one. But I, I we got to talk about Walmart Canada, guys. We, we <laughs> they got did it again. <laughs> they did it again. They, they are so reliable. I love it. It's the it's the Walmart Canada time of the year. The, the seasonal <laughs> leak at Walmart Canada. Uh, it, it's uh, you can set your watch to it. I love it. Even even Keeley was like joking about Walmart Canada leaking stuff as the Game Awards are what in two days, four days, or they're very soon. And he's like, "We have some big announcements. We're sure Walmart Canada has their own or something like that." <laughs> and then sure enough, here they come. I mean, who who knows if this is true? But they their current leak is they say Death Stranding is shipping in June. Uh, yeah, right. But also, <laughs> Walmart Canada, you know, they could be an analyst. You know, like someone's got to hire Walmart Canada. <laughs> to do all this stuff because um that's the, that's their latest there's no way it's coming in june though right like there's well, no way ju- okay so just to catch everybody up in case you were uh you know not paying attention last year uh very similar to well, no actually it was earlier it was before e3 last year right it was uh walmart canada was this year's e3 it was rage 2 oh man all of those games yeah, yeah that's right it was this year i was thinking it was last christmas again but no it was you're right it was this year time this 2018 has just felt like it's been four years long. Um, <laughs> That's and, what happened. Yeah, they, yeah they, and make another kid. Why? Why did you do that, Jeff? I ask myself that question every day, Patrick. <laughs> Learn from my lesson, please. Uh, anyway. That's a different topic. Sorry. They, uh, they, they, yes, they spoiled a, a bunch of reveals at E3, including Rage 2 and others. And it was a, a crazy thing. And now we have this listing in Walmart Canada saying Death Stranding is coming out in June. And I guess somebody, somebody from Gaff or somebody uh, on, on Reddit or somewhere, uh, like called Walmart Canada and was like, Hey, what's the deal with this? And they r- responded, uh, this is a listing for a game that's coming out in June. So <laughs> let's just put any stuff to rest. This is pre-orders for a game that will definitely be coming out in June. And I don't know why there's any kind of <laughs> question about that. And it's like, oh, okay, thanks, Walmart Canada. Um, so Death Stranding coming out in June. Uh, Christian, you are you remain skeptical. I have been uh, very skeptical that this game would ever be, let alone this June, Patrick, what do you think? Do you think this is accurate? Do you think Walmart Canada does it again? Or do you think this is a placeholder that got blown way out of proportion? I mean, who am I to disagree with Walmart Canada that has a a strong history of proven records? Um, (laughs) It's true. I I mean, if it wasn't them, I would have said no way. But yeah, last year's E3 was actually all spot on. So I don't know. And at some point, the game has to ship. And we've been seeing it for, what, two years already? Pretty extensively. Um, And it seems like it's... Well, we haven't seen any game. 
Wait, We've seen a, a walking around. I yeah, guess that's the game. It's the prequel. <laughs> I think that's the game. Uh, walking <laughs> yeah. around, but it's not prototyping anymore, right? It's it's things that actually look like they have a little bit of meat on them. Uh, so it could be the the PlayStation Four isn't. I mean, the PlayStation Five we expect is going to be announced uh, next year. We guess. Um, not at E3. Well, I mean, because Sony ain't coming. That's true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, by next year, I mean 2020, because this year is already yeah. already gone. So next year is the 2019 is the last year to get all of the big things out before you know the year of the PlayStation Five. I'm guessing. I don't know. I would give this a 52 percent chance of being mm. right. I, can ah, I like it. it. If it's like Ground Zeroes, like Death Stranding is Metal Gear, Ground Zeroes, it's a, here's a thing, here's a three-hour chapter of this game, the the big game is coming, and yes, this engine crosses generations, and it will come, you know, two years into the PlayStation 5, but, mm. yeah, I mean... Oh, you think all- it could be, it, you're saying it's the prequel, it, it is the, it's the, um, oh, what's the game that got removed from all the services oh pt pt yeah it's the pt you think no i'm really? saying it's, i'm saying it's the ground zeros <laughs> okay all right all right so uh, yeah i think there's a good chance it could come in june if it is a game that is much less complex than a metal gear solid game hmm. if it is if it is a game that is a lot it, it is a glorified movie and i mean who knows maybe it is a full-fledged game and they just knocked it out really fast but uh, my, I suspect that the game is not as sophisticated a military espionage simulator as his previous efforts have been, and that it is much more concerned with creating this narrative and having you walk around and discover things. And so perhaps that's really all it is, and that's how they can put this game I, out this quickly. I think you're right, um, especially since he doesn't have the resources of the huge Konami behind him anymore, talking about Kojima, of course. Um, and even though he does have funding, we know that it's uh, he, he doesn't have a problem there. I wouldn't be surprised if if the game is much smaller in, in uh, scope, and it might be that. It's a Basically, the first game his new studio is going to be putting out could be a smaller, a smaller thing. Still full price. So course, here's obviously. So of course. Uh, so here's my here's my follow up question. Then, Patrick, do you want it to come out in June? Are you hoping it comes out in June? Uh, that's that's. I, I'm not a big Kojima fan, which I realize is kind of heresy to say. Um, I loved, I loved the first Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> uh, very, very much, but not the subsequent ones. So I'm not the kind of person who cares enormously about Death Stranding. I'm intrigued, but I kind for me it's kind of like whatever, a little bit. So yeah, I'm sorry, I've offended yeah. a, a lot of people That's in the fine. audience. I apologize. No, it's an honest, honest reaction, Christian. What about you? Are you are you hoping June? I, I hope it comes when it's ready. We, we've seen a lot of it. It's been teased and it's weird and no one quite knows what the game is. But yes, if I get another Kojima game and it comes out in June and it's a, I've enjoyed all of his other games. So if I get another one of those experiences sooner rather than later and it lives up to the expectations I have for it, I'm all for that. I also like a a June release, you know, that summer, um, I think May has kind of become 
summer for a lot of these games moving in terms of uh, release dates. But I think June's a great time for a game to come out. That'd be awesome. Well, it used to be a terrible time for a game to come out because it was right in the middle of E3. But <laughs> who knows? Maybe E3 is less less uh, less meaty this year or that time of year is less meaty. Um, <clears throat> I want it to come out as early as possible so then we can stop talking about this game <laughs> i'm being so cynical i, no, but that's, I apologize that's but no, fair I, I, but it's the case for basically every remaining big playstation 4 game right like <laughs> last of us well 2 I, you know i'm really excited uh, yeah last of us 2 right is is uh you know will continue to be a, a hot topic for until it's released as well i'm very excited for ghost of tsushima um but uh you know i i, I this game in particular just feels like this laborious, what even is it? And here's another trailer. Here's Kojima trotted out on stage at another thing. And I ju- it just feels so exhausting to me to continue just to not know anything about what the heck he's saying. <laughs> so, yeah, let me play it. I'm ready to play it. Let me play it. If it's done, let's do it. Uh, oh, Christian. Should... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to ask you what your other idea that what your other story that you wanted to bring up was. oh i figured you'd you bring it up but i was going to jump in with a quickie just a quickie update i did cancel my playstation classic pre-order people had been dying to know uh i canceled it that thing looks like a real piece of crap <laughs> <laughs> yeah you went you you're we you plot that on a graph your excitement level uh over time <laughs> it's a precipitous drop-off you had a, a you, you really peaked early on the old excitement level <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the PAL games. No offense, Patrick. Uh, oh, we did like PAL games. Either. We we wanted the six. <laughs> we we don't want our own things. They're too slow. <laughs> it just yeah. It looks like it looks like a a real cash in instead of a, an amazing device that it could have been. So I just wanted to give people that. But that's all. I'm not even sure it's a cash in. It's. It. I mean, yes, it is a cash in. It, it's been put together in like four months, and they were like, just, just put it out, whatever. But to be fair, I think the vision of Sony was no one actually plays those things for more than 15 minutes, and then they display them on their uh, shelves. So who cares how it plays, right? That's. I think. I think that may be a very astute point. I think that you may be very right about that. That it is. It's. It's a knickknack. It's. It, the functionality is secondary. Exactly. Well, then it make it a, one of those uh, hot things that keeps my coffee warm. You know, like the disc tray is a little warm coaster. <laughs> no, you. I remember back in those days, they specifically had warning labels: do not put drinks on this. I, this is I, not a coaster. I know. Imagine now, full circle. It's oh. like this is for drinks. Finally, <laughs> finally, everything I wanted to do with my CD disc man, I can do. Um, all right. Well, there's lots to talk about still. Uh, next week is going to be a big one. <clears throat> no offense to Patrick for being here this week. We got, we got a big one coming up this week, too. But next week is, is going to be a little nuts uh, because we got the Game Awards, which is always interesting as far as game reveals. Uh, I already know of a couple of games that are being revealed there. That, yeah, that Superman. <laughs> well, that's what we're about to get to. Uh, and also, uh, kind of funny is doing a big game showcase, uh, that is going to have like 60 games and I don't know what that's going to bring. It's got the first time they've ever done anything like this. So I don't know what kind of newsworthiness, but it sounds like we're going to have a lot to talk about. One of the big rumors heading into the game awards was that Rocksteady was going to show off their new game and that that game was going to be Superman. Well, not so fast. Uh, Sefton Hill, the director and co-founder of Rocksteady released a tweet squashing uh, the hopes and dreams of many of us, including myself, who were holding our breath for that. He says, uh, looking forward to the Game Awards this year. We're we'll st- we still hard at work in our development bunker, so don't expect an announcement from Rocksteady Games 
When it's ready to show, you'll be the first to know. Spoiler, it's not Superman. So that, I think, is pretty uh, extraordinary that not only are they telling us that, you know, don't get excited for a Rocksteady announcement at all at the Game Awards, but the game, when it happens, is not Superman, which I, I got to say, I applaud that level of it's easy to play coy and get people excited and then potential uh, disappointment. And, you know, Blizzard tried to do this with Diablo. It's like, it's not four. It's not. We're going to announce something, but it's not four. But they had gone so far down the coy tease line that people didn't really believe them. And it sort of backfired. I love this, that they're just like, it's not Superman. I'm sorry. It's not. Uh, I dig that they're doing that. I'm very curious as to what it is, but uh, I'm and I'm disappointed that we're not going to find out what it is. It sounds like anytime soon. Uh, Patrick, what's your feeling about this squashing of so rumors? What I'm understanding is that it definitely is Superman, right? I read that right. <laughs> right. Uh, no, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be Superman, but only for mobile. Oh, oh I think. okay. So, so uh, uh, Superman uh, Immortal is the way it's gonna be. Yeah, okay, right. Exactly. Uh, no, I mean, I think so. First of all, communications wise, yes. Uh, managing expectations is important and they are doing this well and uh that's that's something to be commended but what we've heard from uh, jason trier is that it's not superman but it might be an ensemble of superheroes so maybe justice league so technically a little bit of superman and everyone else and it might be a destiny like game as a service thing which i could be excited about um but yeah i mean Good on them for telling us that it's not going to be announced now because that would have been the focus of the entire uh, Game Awards, right? I mean, there are two things people were expecting from it. Uh, this game and uh, Metroid Prime 4, which I guess might still happen. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, I, Christian. What do you what do you what do you think about this? I, uh, picking up on the Jason Trier thing, I also would love to talk about the fact that he posted a really interesting thing on Reddit about how he has changed his position on what is newsworthy and just saying something that's going to be announced later officially by a company he doesn't really consider newsworthy anymore. Just like beating someone to an announcement just because people want to hear it earlier isn't an he considers to be newsworthy and i actually kind of applaud him for that uh i don't know if you want to touch on that as well that's an interesting point i I certainly saw his tweet about that i think there's still a chance that superman is i I did a dumb tweet where i said like excited for your next game i don't read spoilers also i hope it's superman um (laughs) but I, i think there's still a fair chance that superman is involved they did a pretty he's just a producer he's just a producer credit superman <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just laid down the beat um <laughs> yeah. they were it's a, yeah a bat, sweet batman track featuring superman yeah, and he just goes superman like <laughs> laid over the the base um when arkham knight came out everybody's like oh it's red hood and they were like this is an all-new villain and everybody's like red hood you've never seen before it's red hood <laughs> and he will blow you away with this original red hood villain that is not red hood red hood Spoiler, Red Hood. He was he was Red Hood. Um, so maybe you're not Superman. Maybe you're the Man of Steel. <laughs> like I don't. I mean, I think there's still a chance Superman is is part of this game, part of this team. I certainly have no inside information. I did call Walmart Canada, and they, they didn't quite understand. They redirected me to underwear. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's um, I don't know. 
it seems weird to me to say it's not Superman and then have a game with Superman in it, but maybe so. Maybe they're yeah. willing to parse it that specifically. You know, it, it's uh, I guess you know then you could still be surprising people and say it's not Superman. It's all of the DC superheroes or whatever. <clears throat> I don't know. Whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to be excellent. We're just it's Kal El. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a Clark Kent game. Is what it is. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I, I think I want to I want to kind of just quickly talk about that Jason Schreier thing because I think it's it's pretty cool. You know, I'm I'm sort of spoiler averse, generally speaking, and uh, I've often thought breaking news, breaking an embargo for something that is literally like a few days later, weeks later, a month later is just going to be announced in its official capacity. It's just it's it doesn't add anything. Just hearing it slightly sooner, but not adding any actual context or insight uh it doesn't make it news and i applaud jason for that we jason and i have been talking a long a long time about him being on the show i'd love to get him on the show scheduling is difficult for him he has a family as well um so we've you know we've had a hard time getting him on but i would love to have him on to talk about this specifically because i i just i think i wish more people would take this approach i think it's great if you have something actually to some insight into a game or a, a development process or something, certainly write that story, but just saying, Hey, we found out, you know, two hours before the, uh, the big announcement that what the big announcement is going to be. That's not news. That's, that's just ruining an announcement. I, I don't, yeah. I don't see how that helps. He he's he also says, you know, the way he talks about it, you can see he's a little bit conflicted. His position has evolved over time and uh, he's definitely trying to see the journalistic value in the things he does. He's been, uh, a, you know, a reporter for a long time and certainly he's become kind of a focal point in the gaming industry over the past year or so. He's broken a lot of uh, uh, news and he's done a lot of really interesting reporting. Um I think there has been kind of a trend of associating this, um, you know, journalists being taken hostage by big corporations and their marketing machine when they sign NDAs. And so should journalists keep the, the, the secret that the corporations are giving them? Are they really journalists if they do that? Blah, blah, blah. And I think there's also something to keep in mind, which is, yeah, we're still just talking about video games, right? This is not yeah, right. war reporters or political uh, reporting or anything like that. And you're right. right. When when you the only thing you do is is just telling what's going to happen a week from now, you kind of ruin the surprise and ruin what those people have been working for for a really long time and also you know uh uh it's true ruin the the marketing effect the marketing oomph of an announcement which is important for that company but just because it's a company doesn't mean you have a duty to ruin their thing right so well it's more than that you're not benefiting the end user in any tangible way like ruining that you can you can position it as like oh it's this marketing and marketing is inherently evil and so if you're towing the line for marketing then you are also evil okay i mean that's a position that one can take but i i don't think it actually benefits a consumer to know something slightly earlier than the marketing was going to reveal it because i i think jason makes a great point like if you have some insight if you have some depth there to reveal it early and then there's a follow up to what that is by all means, that makes it news. But 
just saying the thing that the somebody else is going to say before they can get it out of their mouth <laughs> doesn't make you a breaking news reporter. It makes you just uh, somebody that heard something slightly earlier. <laughs> it's not, there's no benefit to the consumer for that. I don't know about it in terms of what Rocksteady is working on in this specific example, but I think generally or broadly speaking, I would disagree. I think like if you're in the market for a new iPad and they say, hey, they're coming out with new ones a month from now, for sure. Here's here's the specs. Here's what it is. Or like they're for sure coming out with but a new pro a month from now. That's that's news. And I'd want to know that. But that's that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about uh, uh, Apple has an event coming up and they're going to announce new iPads. Okay. Here's what the iPad is going to be called. But Rocksteady has it's like well, they're going to tell that. you what it's going to be called at the at the event. Like the the fact that Rockstar has a, a new game. Excuse me, Rockstar, Rocksteady. Yes, <laughs> Rocksteady has a new game coming out. Uh, we all know that it has a new game coming out. What that game is, you knowing it today or you knowing it when they announce it in a month or two months or whatever it is. It bears has no effect on your purchasing decision. I mean, right? I guess maybe some people would think, well, I might, and, and I mean, I might not buy a game today and save my money for the game that's coming out then. But even then, when it's announced, you still have six months uh, from right. now to to save right. for it. And it's not like an iPad, which is you know five hundred bucks or whatever. It's sixty bucks, so probably a little bit more attainable. And and it, he probably and, doesn't know when it's coming out. He probably yeah. he just knows what it is. It's not it's like it, none of the information that he could give you is useful other than knowing it earlier than you would I, anyway. I think the uh, most people would agree that there is no inherent value in telling you what you what what you know or in telling you what they know. Um but I think it stems from that idea that a good journalist wouldn't be quote unquote in bed with the company and there's a misunderstanding of the functioning of that industry and thinking that NDAs for example are a bad thing because you're selling your silence to the company for access early access to the game when in reality this is how things have to work for a variety of reasons. I'm not going to get into that. But I think that's where it stems from. So people conflate the two and think, oh, but you know something and you're not telling it, so you're kind of uh, guilty of that, uh, of of being complicit with the... But, you know, as we've said, I really don't think it's the case here and it doesn't serve any purpose except, you know, ruining it for... And it does have some negative aspects as well. But I, I guess the the case could be made that it is also beneficial somehow, I suppose, but it would be a hard case to make. I, I love Jason and, and most of his work, if not all of it. And I totally respect his decision, but I also respect the person who gets this information from a source. They're not like just get breaking an NDA, but they get this information from a source and decide to release it. I think it is newsworthy. If there was a index card in front of me turned over and it said what Rocksteady's next game is on it, I would look. I, I would want to know. I'm not saying I would then yell it to the world, but I, I wouldn't sit there and be like, I'll wait for Rocksteady to announce it. I'd want to know. Um, that's the type of person I am. I, I looked for Christmas presents in closets uh, when I was younger. <laughs> um, so I totally understand and respect the person that gets this information and finds it newsworthy and you know tweets out and maybe does then some reporting around it to learn about why it's not a Superman game, blah, blah. Like, I think there can be a story that. there. He, he yeah, addresses he does. that. If if there is yeah, more than just, you know, the, the reveal of what it is, then he says, yeah, maybe then there's some value to it. 
I, I think you made the perfect analogy though, Christian, because I just really want Christmas to be awesome. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm ready for, I, the, for me opening a present on Christmas, I would, I never, when I was a kid looked for my presents. I don't, I don't want to know. I'm not going to get that present any earlier just by knowing what it is earlier. Are you going to want... watch the game awards? Well, but the game those awards unveiling? are those what? unveilings. Why not just wait for the game to come out and be like, whoa, you walk into Best Buy and you're like, whoa, <laughs> there's a well, game but out. That's, that's not – I mean they they crafted that messaging. That's that's the part of – but I do feel that way a lot. I, that's how I, I, I um, um, deal with movies. That's what I do with movies. I, I don't want to know what the movie is about until I sit down to watch it. So it's, that's it's a whole other rabbit hole I've gone down. <laughs> but I mean I, I do think there is value in uh, – anyway, it's all a matter of opinion. But it, it, it's – fun to get it from the the horse's mouth and to get it the way it's supposed i mean when you go into e3 if you know every game that's going to be announced it's less fun it's just less exciting right the the big big press conferences but how fun was that week when walmart canada was leaking everything (laughs) they're still fun to be had you got to take all your fun and put it in a high quality canvas bag and take it with you (laughs) (laughs) yes that that too we have to talk about that but Imagine how more exciting it would have been, uh, the Bethesda conference would have been if we didn't know Rage 2 was coming. That trailer yeah, would have been a lot yeah. more fun. Now it was just, oh, yeah, it's Rage 2, whatever. It's and, and How again, much more not, exciting? We're not saving the world here, right? We're not uh, uh, reporting on war or, you know, some kind of right. huge political thing. It's okay to let people, like, you're not... Uh, uh, fighting for the great cause by revealing the thing that you you know about the game that's coming out so that's also i agree i've i've been beating that drum for many years and i i understand for a lot of people video games is the most important thing in the world <laughs> uh but it really isn't and all of the you know all of the self-importance in the world and people accuse me of of, of being a shill or whatever because of that position but i just I, I don't think that's the case. That's, I mean, I, I know that's not the case for me. And I don't think that's what it means when you say, hey, I just kind of I'm a, I get excited for the things to be revealed in a cool way. Like, I don't need the story that posts, you know, two hours before the press conference of what the press conference is going to be. It's like, why do I care two hours before? I can just watch. Anyway, anyway <laughs> we beat this horse to death. Christian wants to talk about canvas bags. <laughs> I want to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Brooklyn. You don't have to. You don't want to sleep in a canvas bag. You want to sleep in the amazing sheets, and that's what Brooklyn has. I have Brooklyn and sheets. I am so so happy. I was thinking about this last night as I went to bed because I knew uh, we were recording today, and I knew I had a Brooklyn and sponsorship to talk about. And uh, I was like, I just kind of want to luxuriate in my sheets just to really soak in the experience. It. it they're very nice, you guys. They are very nice sheets, and I am a person that did not put enough emphasis on how good my sheets were for far too long in my life. Um, these are the the winner of the best online bedding category by good housekeeping. These are, they're very high quality, but they're not the kind of uh, high quality that's going to make you spend a fortune because they're sold directly to you over the internet. It's pretty awesome. You spend a third of your life in your sheets sleeping. Why not upgrade your bedding? Holiday season, perfect time for a bedding upgrade for you or a loved one. Maybe this is, you want to give this for your special someone. Uh, give yourself or them the feeling of a five-star hotel sheet. 
by upgrading to Brooklinen. These are these are amazing. I love I love my sheets. And uh, we can get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. And Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels, they do towels too. Oh, I got to get some Brooklinen towels. I need a new towel. I love a big comfy towel. I'm going to have to look into this. Uh, they all come with a lifetime warranty. Lifetime warranty. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code DLC. Brooklinen. These really are the best sheets ever. Also, real talk. Uh, if you're watching the live stream, there's a picture. At least when I got mine, they really do come in a canvas bag. It's like a, it's like a real nice. It's like a real. They don't nice feel bag. like a canvas. No, bag. no, I'm saying the sheets come in a bag, like a real right. bag, right. unlike some things that don't come in a nice bag. <laughs> well, Christian is referring to uh, all of the great publicity surrounding Fallout 76. It just keeps on coming. <laughs> uh, Bethesda knocking it out from a PR perspective. Um, Fallout 76. The uh, what? Champion edition, complete edition. What does the C stand for? Uh, collectors, collectors edition, of course. Uh, it Carry is everywhere uh, edition, power armor edition, power armor oh. edition. Indeed, that's right. Uh, if you if you bought the power armor edition for two hundred dollars, whoo! That means uh, you get a whole bunch of uh, garbage to put in your house. <laughs> you get a, no, you get a whole bunch of uh, wonderful little things including uh, a bag and in the picture of the the uh power armor edition it really looked like it was a canvas bag it looked like a very nice bag it stated it was a canvas bag it said the word canvas yeah it looked canvasy it said canvas turns out not so much uh (laughs) nylon kind of crappy bag is what showed up when people bought it also um, late the this edition of the game they got co- a lot of players got codes so they could play the game at release the, this big version shipped i think it was a week later or arrived a week after the game was out yeah well, the they, Bethesda- they didn't want people to hear about this as the game was coming out they <laughs> right. had enough problems <laughs> yeah they didn't want to get rid of all get in the way of all that great publicity they were getting from the game itself <laughs> uh, the bethesda gear store Responded to some angry customers who were unhappy with their bags, saying, uh, eh, sorry, it was too expensive to make that one. Uh, <laughs> what do you expect for $200? Um, they said and it was also, a prototype. We're a not going to do anything about it. Like, it- yeah. They, origi- they originally said we're not doing anything about it. They had then or subsequently uh, changed their tune and have uh, given people in-game dollars, in-game real-world money. Fake money that works in the game, but you buy that fake money for real money. 500 atoms is what they're giving everybody who bought that game. 500 atoms. It sounds like a lot. It sounds like so many atoms. Turns out 500 atoms is five bucks. So uh, you spent your $200 hoping to get your, your sweet bag, and they give you $5 in-game in money. The real kicker here for me is that there's a skin a digital skin in the game that's wearing the canvas bag from the power arm edition that skin 700 atoms so you can't even buy you can't even buy the fake digital version of the bag with the money they gave you as a sorry brutal the real version of the bag uh christian i know you were delighted by this all week uh tell me i'm not delighted that's the wrong word but you thought that found this very humorous i what, yeah. what 
Yeah, I feel I feel bad. Like I have indulged in some collector's editions over the years. We've certainly had highs and lows. I have over on my shelf my Horizon Zero Dawn, and I think she's a very nice sculpt. I'm I'm very pleased with that one. Um, I remember the Marvel versus Capcom Infinite uh, Infinity Stones. Man, those looked great in the pre-release images, and they came out and they were like just half of an easter egg glued into a thing like <laughs> yeah. look that up if you haven't seen it just utter garbage and the problem is for bethesda well right now unfortunately fallout 76 has a, a share of problems but the uh pip boy they did for fallout 4 was awesome like they've yeah. done some really great the cat helmet they did a, didn't they do a cat helmet no, it was halo i don't think I they've know halo done. did a cat helmet but didn't they also did they do a power armor That's helmet? What this is this is an actual oh, it has a helmet yeah, and the helmet itself is supposed to be pretty good, um, but Bethesda's done some great big collector's editions before. Um, you know, I remember this isn't Bethesda, but like other ones that didn't go well. Bioshock, they sent out like a cheap big daddy and everybody's was broken and it was just like the most fearsome villain in this game and it was just like this crumpled thing in a box when it showed up. And so it's unfortunate that people that clearly you'd assume are the biggest fans of, of this game and this franchise um, are getting a game that has had two letters sent out, you know, saying, hey, there's a problem, sorry. And then, you know, you probably weren't buying this for the bag. You were probably buying it for the helmet and the map and you kind of everything. But it does suck that you have this, like, a nylon bag. Let's not get it confused. I mean, that is a plastic grocery bag that they don't even allow in California anymore, right? I mean, this it's not like, it's still nice. It's not. It's, the, it's, the, it's not. Yeah, nice. The crappy part is the bait and switch of the pictures and the messaging. That really feels like yeah, uh, you should be ahead of ahead of that as a company. If if that's what you're showing to people as part of your marketing for for investing in the you know the big gaudy edition of the game, you got to at least be ahead of it and say, hey, you know, there's been some change. Just want you to know, yeah. not after the fact. Go, yeah, we weren't, and you know, it's not and the fault of the, the apology, like. Right. The, the quote unquote apology, I'm, I'm doing the air quotes here, but it, like your response to this is, yeah, sorry, it was too expensive. Well, uh, I feel like that's not fair. That, that's some person that was working at the store. Yes, they should know better than to say that, but they're not in the loop. There's, it's, that's some low no, level person. The, yeah. That's still the response that stands. The other yeah. one is, oh, we'll give you five bucks of in game currency, which is, yeah. I don't think, I Pretty mean, yes, the, as, as Christian said, it's like the, the main item is the helmet and all of that. But I guess this coming on top of the issues with the game itself makes it all the more stingy. Um, and that's really what the story is, is that Bethesda with Fallout 76 has not done a great job. I mean, there are a few people who really like this game. Um, good friend Nicole Spag is one of them. And she she told me how much she loves it, that she doesn't understand all the hate. But, uh, okay, on the other hand, whenever, you know, Starfield comes out or Elder Scrolls 6 comes out, all of this will be forgotten. That's but still, true. it's it's a, a, a misstep for Bethesda. And, and the most significant thing is they have a lot of brand loyalty and of mm-hmm. brand goodwill. And I think this is the biggest damage they have done to their own brand since, you know, forever. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, when you're awarding people in-game currency, that costs you nothing. Why not give them a, something substantial? You know, it really, I think the the actual 
cost to the company is probably very minimal if people are spending it on digital skins and stuff just and don't even give them in game currency give them a serious amount you know and don't have to give them currency per se because that could affect the game in terms of like you can also buy a barn door with your 500 atoms um and since it is online but give them give them skins then don't let them spend it on things that might affect an online game in terms of do do let them do that they spent 200 dollars on your game let them just (laughs) let them do that Anyway, all right. Well, let's yeah. uh, let's move on. We got games to talk about, so let's jump right into the playlist. Lots of stuff to talk about this week. I'm excited, Patrick, to get your opinion on a lot of the big games of the moment. But let's start in a different place because a game that I keep. <sighs> thinking that I need to play before the end of the year. We've heard some people on the show recommend it before, and I see it on your playlist, Return of the Obra Dinn. Are you as much of a cheerleader for this game as others? In a sense, um, it's it's getting to that time where I'm seeing my giant list of games I haven't played for the year that people are praising and that I'm, you know, I have to play to at least you know, for an hour or two to have an idea of what they are. And certainly Return of the Oberdin is something special. Um, It is a a different experience, uh, both for, you know, visually, and people have talked about this to death, but also, I think something that has been talked about a little bit less is uh, the, the narrative aspect of the game is really interesting. Um, Again, people have heard what the game is about. There's uh, essentially an investigation on a boat, and you have this stopwatch that shows you moments of people's deaths, of people's deaths, as a kind of diorama where you can walk around in a frozen moment in time. And this is not just for the benefit of the investigation. It's also telling the story of what has happened on that boat. And I'm not sure how far you can go without actually solving the puzzle pieces, but um, I think this game might actually be a fine walking simulator uh, type of thing. And the way it tells the story is really interesting because it you understand everything that happened on that boat through like it's not chronological you jump in time in different position you know portions of the story mostly you go uh, uh, back in time you start with the end and you see what's led to all of these crazy situations and it just has this diorama and a few seconds of dialogue before the moment of the person's death so it tells the whole story like this and that aspect alone is kind of interesting. And I think that hasn't been talked about all that much. The puzzle part I'm not hugely in love with, um, but I think this aspect of it is something really new and different and that has never quite been done uh, that way. So I think there's value to it. I I don't think it's my type of game, so I'm probably not going to find the time to go to the end. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's definitely something that I would recommend to play just for the kind of general culture, gaming culture value that it has. So intrigued by it. I'm going to, I'm going to have to pick it up uh, in the next week or so. I, I'm just so intrigued by it. I, I don't know if it's going to be the kind of game that will click with me, but I guess that's why you try things. I, I'm hopeful, but I definitely, if I hadn't heard everybody talk so highly of it, it really wouldn't have been the kind of thing I would gravitate to. Um, for a number of reasons, but 
I'm I'm so curious about it. And several people who've played it said that I will love it that know me. So uh, maybe I'll like so- it. I would say even if you don't love it, it's the kind of game that is so different and interesting that it's probably a good idea to have an idea, you know, what yeah. it's about. Kind of like, you know, Lucas Pope's previous game, Papers, Please, even if yeah. you don't, don't go to the end of it, it's kind of interesting for as a game connoisseur to to have tried it. Yeah. Again, that's Return of the Obra Dinn. Let's talk a little bit about Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, everybody loves talking about that game. I know both of you guys have played more of it this week. Uh, Patrick, are you on the uh, proverbial Western train? <laughs> um, it's almost kind of like Return of the Obra Dinn. Uh, there are aspects of it which I think are incredible and aspects of it which I really don't like. So it's kind of, I'm forcing myself to play it a little bit more, <laughs> but I don't think I'm going to finish it before the end of the year. And it's it's spectacular in all the ways that people describe it being spectacular and disappointing in all those ways as well. So I'm not on that train. But again, I think it has enormous value for the medium. I'm just not sure it's a very good game. <laughs> <laughs> I, we get that a lot. I've been I've been trying to find uh, a purely positive uh, voice on on this game because I've gotten so many emails of people uh, who are frustrated that we haven't heard more positive uh, about it. But I I'm in that boat too. I know Christian, you're definitely more positive than it sounds like either of us are. Are you 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 played relatively little of it? But I know you played more this week. Yeah, I put another two hours in. I, I love it. I, I keep thinking about it, wanting to find time to play more of it. I just want to have at least an hour to sit down and play, kind of like a committed hour. Uh, my wife is going to be out of town the back half of this week, which means I'm at home after the kids go to bed, which means dad's going to the wickety, 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 wild, wild west is where I'm going. Uh, I'm very excited. Sweet contemporary reference there. <laughs> hey, <laughs> if Will Smith can cry talking about the relationship with his oldest son, I can quote, a rap line from one of his worst songs from one of his worst movies. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Fair cool. enough. Uh, I'm very excited to play more of it. Um, yeah, I'm taking my time with it. I, I love it. I, I think it's the type of game that struggles, uh, that m- people might be struggling with today because there are so many good games and internet culture, part of which I and we with this show play into of like, here's the new thing. Here's the latest thing. Oh, you haven't played Tomb Raider yet? You got to play Tomb Raider. It's incredible. Oh, Return of the Oberdin. You got to play that if you if you like game. I know I'm paraphrasing and overemphasizing things, but it's this. You know, you you can fall into this thing of wait. You haven't even played the new Street Fighter Five patch yet. You got there's a new character in Overwatch, and you can't possibly keep up with everything, even if you try. But I think Red Dead Redemption Two is this game where it's like, hey, do you have five hundred to one thousand hours? Go live in the Wild West. <laughs> yeah. And and you might not beat it in those 500 hours. Like what I find awe-inspiring about it, but also a little overwhelming from my anxieties, is that it's not like Horizon Zero Dawn or um, Assassin's Creed Origins or Odyssey where my map isn't littered with things to do. Sometimes there's one thing. And again, I'm early, so I don't know how this changes in Chapter 5 or whatever. But like there's like a thing that's marked as the thing to do. And it's far away. And I could just ride, hold A and ride there to go do that thing. And then, but that's boring. And then you're just holding A for an hour and you're like, well, this is a waste. Or you just go live as a cowboy. And I spent two hours in a town. And one time something awesome happened. I had this fun story. The other time nothing happened, but 
I cleaned my guns twice. Uh, it's just it's just this world where people are interacting, talking to each other. The characters start to mean more as you spend more time with them. And I really do think it rewards that investment of slowing down, you know, drinking iced tea on your porch in the summer and not being worried about what's on Twitter or did you do this? Did you do that? And I think it, to me, Red Dead Redemption 2 feels like a book in a world of Twitter and binge-watching Netflix shows. It yeah. doesn't care. It's not trying to help you finish it. It just right. live it. And I, I, I really enjoy it. I, I don't know if I'll ever finish it because I don't know if I have those thousand hours. But so far, I really love my time in the world. The, the way I describe it is not a game. It's an Arthur Morgan simulator. That's what this is. And, you know, I, I said I, I don't really like the game. I still played it for like, I don't know, 25 hours. But most of that was just walking around and, and looking for things to hunt. And, and, and it's an incredible experience. But I, I also started playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, and <laughs> playing that after having played Red Dead Redemption 2 is kind of a weird experience. I love it. I think Assassin's Creed Odyssey is a way better game than Red Dead Redemption 2. It's amazing. It's, well, let's, it's, before we get to that, I, I want to, I, I love the transition, but I, I, I wanted to read an email that we got sure. for, uh, about uh, Red Dead. I would, believe me, I'm happy to talk about Assassin's Creed Odyssey <laughs> until the cows come home. But, um, I, I appreciate what you guys have been saying, and I've been getting a lot of emails about it as well. This is one of my favorites, and this is one of the ones that made me go, ah, you know, I really do feel like maybe I'm missing something by not putting time into Red Dead now. Uh, this comes from Eric Fredrickson. He sent it into dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It's a, it's a rather lengthy email. I'll read just a, a couple of my favorite parts. He's responding mostly to the, the long 50-minute uh, discussion that Dave Chen and I had, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago now, about Red Dead Redemption 2. <clears throat> he says, uh, it was a pretty long chat. Thank you for the extra podcast minutes. So there's definitely stuff I meant to also mention that I'm forgetting, but I wish Dave had been able to describe what it's like to stand on the shore next to that lighthouse and fish for musky in the fog or to spot an owl's eyes in the trees through my binoculars. When you take a bath, you can have a woman bathe you. It's kind of weird, but later in the game, if you do that, Arthur might tell the woman about his... Spoiler alert. <laughs> don't spoil, don't spoil. Okay, about something from his life. And she just goes, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And it's so perfectly awkward. It's funny and sad in all the right ways. The stranger missions aren't all fun, but some of them are a blast. You can find a woman up in the mountains who lost her husband in an animal attack and try to help her become self-sufficient. You can go fishing with a war vet who knows his stuff and loves to chat. If you explore, you can find truly weird Easter eggs, a giant skeleton in the mountains, a house belonging to a certain top-hatted NPC from the first Red Dead Redemption. Seriously, look up the video for that. It's chilling. I'm not trying to say you should like the game. I think you might, but I know how it is. Once you've, I've decided I don't want to engage with something, you can't make me. <laughs> I still haven't read Harry Potter or played Pokemon. And I don't think your experiences or Dave's were invalid. But I think a stand-in for the usual Jeff Kanata positivity would have made for a more balanced conversation that fits the tone of DLC better. So I really appreciate that, Eric. And I don't mean to not have positivity. Clearly, Christian is very, very positive about the game. Uh, and I know that as he continues to play more, we'll talk about it more. And I'm sure you'll you'll hear more of that on the show. I, I certainly didn't intend uh, to have only negative views of the game. And I I'm really moved by your little bits that you've you've 
you know, chosen to highlight in your email. I think it's, I think it's great. And those things do make me feel like I'm missing out on something. I just am prioritizing a different kind of entertainment right now, I think. And, uh, and I think that's fair, you know, can I share one short little, just kind of, I think random kind of encounter that happened when I was playing Red Dead here this week. Yeah. So I'm on the edge of this uh, bluff looking down and kind of just taking in the vista because I think the scenery and landscape is gorgeous. And as I'm sitting there, occasionally in the game, you'll hear people calling out for help. And then a little you know, white dot will show up if they're near you. And so I hear this and someone's like, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And their um, carriage, horse-drawn buggy or whatever, was kind of in a precarious position over close to me, but still over kind of on this bluff. And I don't know if it's going to fall or what's going to happen, but this, this man was calling for help. So as I'm walking over there, uh, I have to cross over this little bit of a stream to get to his section. And when I went into that, cross the stream, I was in an area that I had a bounty on me because uh, I was bad. Um, and I get over there and I'm helping this person. And this other person is coming over, like riding along the path as well. And I'm like, what if this is, it's, it, you know, everything's gonna be fine. And this person, as they're riding up, as I'm getting off my horse and coming over and you hold left trigger to engage. And I'm like, greet, I want to be friendly with this person. It's like, oh, hey, what's the trouble, partner? What's going on? He's like, oh, help my, my horse is stuck. Can you help me get out? And this other person coming down the hill and he calls out from far away. It's um, I'm paraphrasing, but something like, you know, what's the issue? Y'all okay? And rides down and gets closer and he goes, wait, I know you and pulls his gun. Then the person I'm helping goes, wait, what? I don't want any of this and runs away, leaving his horse. So I went to try to help someone, another NPC who doesn't apparently know who I am, who's also maybe coming to help this other NPC recognizes me because I'm in a bounty, pulls his gun on me. We start fighting. This other person then runs away, leaving his possessions that he cared very much about, you know, scripted before that. And I end up killing this other person and then looking around with no one else there and then robbing this guy's carriage and going about my business. Amazing gameplay loop. Cool, fun moment that I don't know. Has anyone else had that? <laughs> Email us and let us know because it felt so organic and random that I don't know if I would have seen it, but for sitting at this Vista for two minutes to watch the sunset. But I think the issue with the game is that all everything we're all describing as positive is the world, not the gameplay itself. The gameplay is Red Dead Redemption 1 gameplay or even, you know, earlier than that from five or ten years ago. And it's dated. And I think that is what yeah. a lot of people have an issue with. But the the game the it's in what more... in what sense i want to i want to drill down on that because in what i mean blackout call of duty is still left trigger right trigger this is it has heavy auto aim which you can turn off it has a small you know i i, I guess i wish that they used max Payne's three shooting and cover mechanic a little bit but the game is a slow paced game where i'm manually reloading the carbine in my um rifle after two shots because that's the type of gun i'm using i'm not wall running and jumping off this isn't titanfall 2 like how how is this gameplay dated and what do you think you should be doing in it that the game isn't offering it's it's clunky it's like you walk around you don't stop where you want to stop when you start running you don't quite run like when you want to open a drawer you have to move the 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 your character 15 times before you're exactly at the place you need to be to press the right button uh, it's all of those things that are that don't feel natural uh you you fight the 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 movement system the gameplay system you fight it in order to achieve what you want to achieve i think that's uh uh games have evolved. and and yes call of duty is the same as it was 10 years ago because it was already great uh 
Red Dead Redemption 1 and, and Grand Theft Auto 5 weren't great and they still aren't. And not in that way. There are other things that are that are good, but that's, hmm. I think. Yeah, I, I feel like I haven't struggled with that stuff and maybe I'm a Red Dead apologist, but I feel like I haven't <laughs> You're such a shill Christian for your Red Dead I'm such a shill. <laughs> That I haven't struggled with not being able to pick up the thing I wanted to pick up occasionally, um, you know, navigating around a table in a small building, but it hasn't been anything more egregious than I've experienced in, in other games. Uh, I think times where I find I am frustrated is if I'm trying to rush through something, but I have to remind myself that that's not what Red Dead is. Red Dead isn't a, a game that you rush through experiences. You don't rush through searching through a house. I mean, Jeff mentioned it. It's a very early mission. Or if you stop to search every dead body along the way, the game, <laughs> the train literally leaves. You can't, it's, yeah. it's not that type of game because you will you stop know, and. It, it's not that it's not that type of, I mean, we could do a whole show about Red Dead Redemption 2 and I'm sure, you know, books will be written about this game because it's so different. That has never been done before. And I'm not sure it serves gameplay. It serves immerse, immersion. It serves the building of the world, but it doesn't make for a fun necessarily for a fun game it makes it more realistic but i'm not sure that's a positive thing and when i was going to talk about assassin's creed it was to say it it assassin's creed feels like a toy you know it everything is so yeah gamified yes red dead redemption 2 feels like a world you're inhabiting um and that's a, a great artistic thing i'm just not sure how great of a game it makes it still has value but you know and i can love that aspect of the game and dislike another aspect and it's still you know the artistic value is still huge probably higher than almost any other triple a or quadruple a game that has ever been created and still other aspects are lackluster i think i i think that you know dave made a good point on on our sort of bonus episode that he was talking about it in terms of simulation, that it's in this uncanny Valley of simulation that even as it approaches a more uh, closer to real life attempt at simulation, it gets farther away uh, that yes, it would actually take this, you know, take longer to search a person than in Assassin's Creed where you can literally loot something as you gallop by on your, on your horse, you know, but just because it's attempting to do that doesn't mean it's still not abstracting other things. So, for example, it you have to sit through the animation of skinning a rabbit or a deer or whatever it is when you're skinning. But also, if you were in the Wild West, you wouldn't skin 27 deer in a day, right? <laughs> Which you can do if you decide to in, because it's a video game, right? So you're still abstracting the experience of living in the Wild West – and I say, if you're going to abstract it, why not abstract, abstra you know, abstract it to my benefit, to me as a player's benefit? Like, I don't want to have to get down, pick up a guy, f you know, go through his pockets, find the thing. I do want the how, thing. How long, in, how long uh, have you played Assassin's the game, Creed. Jeff? How long have you played it? Uh, I I did 10% of the, whatever 10% was. Okay, so I did 10% of the game. Three, or, three hours because it goes really fast in the beginning. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not very far at all. I, I made a decision very early on not to stop. For the first three hours, five hours maybe, I hated the game. I thought it was ridiculous, and all of those things you're describing affected me very much. And and I think this game doesn't care about what you like or what you want. 
it it forces you it tells you as christian was saying to slow down and to inhabit the character and when i i did that when i understood that when i accepted it and maybe not everyone has to accept it but when i did i saw the value in that because you're saying oh it should be abstracted abstracted to fit me and to make it easier but every I'm not other saying it game should. Does I'm saying that. I prefer that. Right. I but, prefer that. But every other game already does that. And this is the right. first time we're trying to clumsily, but someone is trying to make it, no, we're going to do it the way it would actually be. And yes, there are clunky things. Like, for example, you're saying it's, it, it's realistic, but often when you're opening a drawer, it's actually slower than if you actually did it in real life. Like you move over, open the thing, look at this, like it's actually ridiculously slow. But I still think this is an interesting original approach that has value. And in doing so, uh, most people, even the people who don't like the game, uh, seem to agree that it creates a, a, a different and special experience that no other game creates. I certainly agree. Um, oh, I agree as well. I, please don't don't interpret what I'm saying as as not understanding that. I I admire this game very very much. Uh, I I've long had uh, a little phrase that I like to use where I call games more fun than they are good. I think this game is the inverse of that. Right, this game is more good than it is absolutely. fun, and that's fine. Like I appreciate that. I admire it. I'm in awe of this game in in many ways. It just I have to talk myself into playing it, and that's that's all. And again, this comes down fundamentally it comes down to different strokes for different folks. Like I love that people love this game and I love reading emails like Eric's where people are finding these magical moments in it. And I do feel like I'm missing out and maybe I will come back to this game at a certain point, but, but I, I am having so much more fun in games like Assassin's Creed that yeah. I think about when I'm not playing and like Christian's describing Red Dead Redemption two for him, I'm thinking about ACO when I'm not playing it. I want to, I, I, can't wait to scrape together a few minutes just to jump back in that world. So. It's the the game equivalent of I love you, I just don't like you right now or like you at all. <laughs> right. Kind of. Right. Anyway, so you're you're digging Odyssey. Yeah. Um yeah, just, just I I mean, we've already spoken a lot about a lot of things, so I've just got to go very quickly to say I a lot of people have taken a lot of um uh you know care in speaking about Assassin's Creed Odyssey in a way that is, you know, careful to point out its flaws. And that's fair, but it gave me the impression that the game wasn't great, you know? Um, it, I didn't get an accurate impression of what the, the fun and the complexity that is crammed into this experience. And uh, I ended up getting it for Black Friday. It was like 50, uh, 40 bucks on PSN. And I tried it and I didn't like Assassin's Creed Origin. So I didn't have a lot of hopes and I ended up loving it. And, and it's fun to play. The gameplay is engaging. It's easy to get into after having played 25 hours of Red Dead Redemption 2. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this game is actually giving me the fun. I don't have to fight it to get to the enjoyable <laughs> part. Um, and, and it keeps adding system upon system upon system. You never have, uh, uh, you know, a, a moment to not have something to do. It's a great game. I was surprised it was, it, it it's, I'm enjoying it so much. It's, it's really a great yeah. game. Uh, the thing I love most about it is that is how much it always rewards my curiosity. If I'm curious about something, I see something, I'm going to go look at it. There's always something cool there. If if I find an amazing vista and I dive off of it and I land in a tiny pool of water, chances are at the bottom of that water, there's a chest that's just there. It's the, the game isn't 
signposting it in any way. It's just there waiting for me to discover it. And there's some cool loot in there or loot that I can just sell, whatever. The, the fact is my curiosity of diving, A, diving off the thing and B, going a little bit deeper in the standing water that I found uh, is rewarded. And it's always the case. If there's a cave, I'm going to go to that cave and there'll be something cool in that cave. Always, even if it's not one of the big landmark caves, if it's just some random cave place, some random thing I find, there's always something to waiting for me to reward my curiosity. And I just adore that. The game feels massive and yet handcrafted at the same time. And I, I just can't believe it. I think the the structure, the geography of it, the island, the Greek islands, make for an easy encapsulation of all of this because every island is kind of its own uh, independent story. And and so you go there and you feel like yeah. you've completed something. There's definitely a, a little bit of an issue with the amount of money and experience you get. Sometimes you can't continue on the main quest. And there's this whole issue with the um, with the microtransaction, you know, XP boosting, which again, could be debated because if they had given you enough XP by just doing the main quest, then you would never do the side quests. But the microtransaction existing kind of begs that question. But it's funny. I just got, it's funny that that whole thing happened. And I wish I'd known about it when we were talking about that issue, but I just got to a part in the game the other night that is literally the game making fun of microtransactions. It's a, there's a sequence where you get to this Island and it's, it's all about the Minotaur and you, and it's, there's a bunch of people on the Island who are like trying to make money off the Minotaur. And, and uh, if you want to fight the Minotaur, you have to go through these trials and each of the moments of the trial, they go, Hey, if you just want to pay 1200 drachmi, we'll let you go through the trial without having to even do it. And then if you do pay, they go pay to win. You're going to pay to win. Oh, <laughs> that's so pathetic. It's like the game totally commenting on it. Um, so I, th- I I thought that was pretty funny that they were subject to their own – the thing they mocked, they were actually yeah. accused of too. Anyway, um, let's talk also – I think – I don't know if we've ever talked about Donut County on this show. I talked about it I think at E3 last year when I played it. But um, it's out and a lot of people love it. It's an odd, odd game about holes, right? Yeah, it's, it's so weird. You know, it's essentially a game where you play a hole in the ground and – everything falls into it. You make things fall into it. And the more things fall into it, the bigger the hole gets. So you can make more things fall into it. Like this is the entirety of the gameplay. Well, there are a little bit, a few different things, but essentially this is the gameplay of that game. Uh, it, Of course, people will be reminded of Katamari Damacy. Um, there's the same kind of feeling to it, but that's what I knew going in. What I didn't know, and I only played for maybe an hour or two, um, but what I didn't know was, man, this game is dark. Like, it is, it manages <laughs> to to feel so, like, the, the, the metaphor of the bottomless pit swallowing everything in the world is, like, they they push on that so much and it's all cutesy graphics and like the cutesy characters and are, are talking amongst themselves and but it literally makes you feel like the world is a is an endless pit of darkness and 
everything. Oh, goes I don't need a game to teach <laughs> to me feel that way. I just have to turn on the news. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, essentially, maybe it was inspired by by that. But uh, yeah, that was that was the thing I did not expect about Donut County. It's uh, it's a very I don't know how you know maybe it becomes super cheery towards the end. Um, but the beginning was like I almost didn't want to play it because it made me feel bad. Yeah, that's funny. Mm. Uh, interesting game, though. Very interesting yeah. game. Uh, let, let's take a, a quick break and thank our second sponsor, which is RX Bar. Oh, man, I really dig RX Bar. I've, I've bought several boxes for myself uh, since they became a sponsor. I hadn't tried them until they were. They sent me a, a free, uh, few free bars, and I got hooked. Now I buy them myself because they're so good. Uh, I'm somebody that exercises a lot, and I, I enjoy protein bars. I'm also somebody that's lazy and do- doesn't like to – you know, have breakfast. I run out of the house. I'm late and I don't have time for anything. And so I love having, you know, compact, easy to eat on the go foods, but I rarely like how they taste. RX bar is my favorite of these I've ever had. Not a joke, completely honest telling you that I love the texture. I love the flavor. They have amazing flavors. My favorite are the berry ones. They have a mixed berry and a blueberry. Those are great, but they have chocolate ones and peanut butter ones. And uh, these are bars that actually are, are made with real ingredients. These are, these are all the ingredients are printed right on the packaging. It's because they know that you don't want garbage in your food. You don't want to be, especially if you're, you know, health conscious, you don't want to be putting in your body all of these additives and stuff. There are, these are real ingredients. They're gluten-free, they're soy-free, they're dairy-free. Uh, there's no artificial colors or flavors or preservatives or fillers What's in the bar, bar is on the packaging. It's great. Works awesome to just toss in your bag and have with you if you need a, a pick-me-up snack or breakfast on the go. Uh, and you can get 25% off your first order of the uh, bestseller variety pack. Just go to rxbar.com slash DLC and enter promo code DLC at checkout. This is valid in the U.S. only and for a limited time. So sorry, international listeners, but uh, give it a shot. 25% off your first order of the variety pack. That's rxbar.com slash DLC and promo code DLC. I really, really enjoy these bars. I, I've been buying them and enjoying them. So I, I think you should check them out. Uh, all right, Christian, you've been playing some more Pokemon. I, I've seen you uh, sitting around with the, the little Pokeball and uh, shaking it vigorously. Uh, are you Are you still loving that game? Uh, if Donut County is showing you the black hole that is life, Pokemon Let's Go is such a cheery alternative. It is, it's just my happy place. It's something that literally is so pick up and playable. Yes, I have the the Pokeball Plus too expensive version, and I love, I still love using that little thing. Yeah, I put Pokemon in it. I take my dog for a walk while I take my Eevee or my Mew for a walk. Uh, recently, I've had my Pikachu in there. They're getting XP while I'm getting healthy. There we go. That works. Um, it's such a delightful game. I think now I'm 14 hours in, just chugging away, no real end in sight per se. And what I really love about it are all of the slick little transitions that happen. So cut uh, has been a feature in Pokemon before. You know, the little branches and you kind of get through them. In this game, it is assigned to your partner Pokemon, either Eevee or Pikachu. And so when you get to a small little branch, it's in the path metroidvania ask if you've played pokemon 
you know what I'm talking about, how the map opens up. Don't think that this is a deep Metroidvania type re-explore game, but there are certain areas of towns and areas on the map you can't get to until you learn new skills later. And um, Cut is one in this game, and this reimagining of first-gen Pokemon. And now when you go to it, because it's assigned to I have the Eevee version, you get this nice little um, Saturday morning cartoon-esque microsecond cutscene or he's like do you want to cut this twig yes and then evie's like woohoo and she flies across and the style and pizzazz and those little moments are just they're astounding when you battle a team rocket person which you get to do a lot thankfully the little animation that shows there with the red r and the way it kind of drops and flies away into the distance with this solar system-esque background just screams cartoons from when I was a kid and that kind of stuff, the polish in a game that would have sold gangbusters without it, um, I think really makes the game special. All of the little design details, seeing the Pokemon uh, in air quote, real life scale in the world, walking around and interacting and the fights with the other trainers and all of that stuff. It is such a joy to play. And I think the thing that I personally hope they carry over into the next mainline version of the game is I love being able to see the Pokemon on the overworld and not just wandering through grass hoping for an encounter or knowing that this is where um, this Pokemon has a chance of spawning, so I'm just going to walk through grass. I like seeing them, and I can avoid... I don't need another Pidgey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid you while I hope for something useful. And I think seeing that character on the overworld... It's something really interesting. It's something that a lot of JRPGs don't do. I know Final Fantasy um, popularized it, at least to me, but the idea of the random battle, and that is frustrating to me when I'm just trying to get somewhere or do something. It's like, psh, oh, battle. Okay, fine. I'm going to take another step. Battle. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll do this. I'm getting XP. It's fine. I'm grinding. It's no big deal. A battle. Okay, I don't want to battle anymore. I just want to get to my next objective in this because they're visible on the overworld, you can skirt around them most of the time and just go do what you want to do or inversely sit in an area and and grind away. And my golly, it's a, it's a fantastic game. Patrick, have you played any of it? Are you a Pokemon person at all? Have you spent any time with Let's Go? I'm not. And, you know, it's one of those game series which I would love to love, but I was a little bit, older than a teenager when the first Pokemon came out and I was like, oh, pff, this is for children. I'm not going to play that. <laughs> um, and, and I never got into it. And ever since then, it's one of those series that everyone gets excited for. And I'm sitting on the sidelines going like, uh, guys, I'm, uh, and, and I, and I don't. And um, so I was wondering if Pokemon Let's Go would be the one to get me in. But according to a lot of people, it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's basically the, a simple simplified version of the existing pokemons which i tried and didn't love so i'm waiting for the next real one of the on the switch i think and then i'll try to get into it for real yeah that makes sense i mean if you have the time and still have a 3ds ultra sun and ultra moon are phenomenal pokemons and they were cheap for black friday i don't know if they're generally cheap now but uh that was a real good mainline entry but certainly waiting for whenever the next big pokemon comes to switch isn't isn't a wrong idea if you want to to experience the joy of collecting pocket monsters in a more simplified, oh, my kid's coming, I can put it down at a moment's notice. Let's Go is a great game for that. All right. Uh, you know, so many people have been uh, letting me know they got, they, they used to, they used to 
skip the VR section, but now they got VR headsets. This explosion of VR headsets over over the last few weeks. Uh, so I'm excited to jump into some more VR talk. Oh, oh, guys, uh, it's a it's a great time to to have a VR headset. Specifically, the PSVR headset has some amazing games right now. Patrick, I know you have been playing a couple. Where would you like to start? Uh, we can talk about, I guess, Beat Saber. Um, mm. Let's leave the best for last. Although both are are really good. Um, yeah, basically, you are uh, Jeff, my VR profit and <laughs> I, I i sort of i bought a playstation vr when it came out uh, mostly for for work and was a little bit underwhelmed but in recent months you've been singing its praises more than before so i finally decided to plug it back in even though it doesn't have the hdr pass through for my mm. uh, ps4 pro so i went through the annoyance of all of this and um i have to say beat saber is really fun um really fun it's it's it, i think between this and a couple of other games i still wouldn't say um the playstation vr is a must buy mm-hmm. but if you're interested it's your your description you know welcome to the dawn maybe it's a couple of hours before dawn you can see the sun kind of coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and it's at least there's something to do if you have it now, I, which I don't think was the case uh, a couple of years or even a year ago. Uh, now there are substantial experiences to to have. A uh, Beat Saber is one of them. It's really fun. It's even though you don't have like uh, custom uh, music, the the existing title for I, everyone knows what Beat Saber is, right? Um, it, it essentially rhythm game where you swing around sabers like lightsabers, which aren't really lightsabers, to in 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 rhythm with the music. And I didn't think I was going to love it that much, but the music is is uh, motivating, and it's I didn't want to stop playing, and that's not an experience I've had very often in uh, in VR. So it's it's really fun, and it plays well. I haven't played it on PlayStation VR. I know that the the uh... Move controllers can be problematic sometimes. You haven't had any problems with that? No, no, not really. Um, maybe sometimes when I have to crouch really low, the, the camera doesn't see the controller anymore, but yeah. it's not a huge deal. I will say, however, for this game and possibly the next one, uh, I will talk about after you guys have talked about your things, um, I, I, I keep wondering how much of it of the enjoyment is VR and how much of it would still be the same amount of enjoyment if it wasn't in VR. I think for Beat Saber, maybe, you know, whatever, 70, 80% of it would be the same without the VR. Really? You think that yeah. if you were staring at a screen and trying to match your arms to the, to the beats instead of like being in it and feeling like you're actually doing the thing, it would be the same? No, not the same, but a certain amount, maybe not 60%, maybe not 80%, but it, the game would still exist and it would still be the rhythm thing of, you know, it wouldn't match your hands with the the exact location of your hands in in your visual space, but the rhythm part of it would still be there and you would still be doing the same movements. I mean, uh, we I, have a great example of that though, right? Like it's called Tetris Effect, Tetris Effect and... Right. It's substantially worse out of VR, and that's not even as you know 
putting you in the world as Beat Saber, right? Like Beat Saber, because mm-hmm. it is tracking your hands, it's putting you in this space. In Tetris Effect, you're just living in the space as you play Tetris. But I think that as you and, play Tetris in the exact same way you would play Tetris if in any other right format. That yeah. and Thumper are both, I think, great examples of the additive nature of VR for this otherwise a game that literally does not need it. it 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 plays in no different way and i think beat saber seeing the thing come to you and not seeing it on a screen that you're just kind of matching that is farther away from you where here it's like oh it's right next to me now is when i swipe i think something like beat saber would be significantly worse with big bold around significantly and things like thumper and tetris effect are substantially worse out of vr in terms of that experience that you get from playing it in the headset that, that's my opinion Maybe yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know if it's your compelling argument or uh, the striking visuals of you saying this while wearing the PlayStation <laughs> VR. Um, but yeah, it, it's might, very comfortable. <laughs> it is. Have you listened uh, to the DLC can't... in VR yet? I have. It's amazing. <laughs> it's even better. Yeah, actually, most of the most of the show is is bad, but this segment is amazing <laughs> in VR. It's real good. <laughs> <laughs> um let's talk about astrobot rescue mission uh christian you sent me a text yesterday i think a lot li- lies i have the proof i have i literally have the text he, uh, my phone. On my phone. he says uh, this is the exact quote uh, uh christian's text okay fine the more astrobot i play the more special i think it is jeesh fine are you happy now <laughs> to which i replied very. <laughs> uh, so I know both of you guys have played Astrobot Res- Rescue Mission. Um, great platformer in VR or the greatest platformer in VR? The greatest. Well, the competition is not very harsh. So... Okay, the great platformer that also happens to be in VR or the greatest platformer that also happens to be in VR? It's, Again. It's, <laughs> it's a platformer that deserves to be discussed with the greats. It, yes. is, right. it does not okay. usurp a top spot, I think, but it's like in, in that As coffee good. table book, yes. there's a chapter yes. about Astrobot. I agree. I think that's true. I think it is it, – it, 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 you don't have to apologize for it in any way. It is can stand shoulder to shoulder with any uh, platformer you want to put up against it, and it offers something that none of them can because of VR. So – I've only played through the first two worlds and a couple of uh, challenge uh, missions. How much better does it get in the subsequent parts of the game? I well, I don't know, Christian, how far you've gotten. I finished the game and done much, many of the challenges. Uh, I for me, the last two bosses of the game are some of the best platforming bosses I've ever played, regardless of medium. They're so fun, and. The levels themselves, the last world, the fifth world is, I think, the best of them. They save the best for last. And I think it's because they decide to just up the challenge and it becomes a much more challenging game. And the thing that's so magical about this, and I think magical about a lot of Mario games that I love and a lot of the best platformers is new ideas are introduced throughout. It's not like you just get a bunch of ideas at the beginning and then a bunch of levels. New ideas pop up toward the end of the game. Every every new world, every new level seems to have something novel and something magical in it that you didn't see coming. And there are flourishes that are constantly surprising me. Uh, and, and that's the way Odyssey is. That's the way Mario Galaxy was, where it's like, oh my God, 
I've been playing this game, you know, for many hours and many worlds in, and now they throw this at me. That's how Astrobot feels to me as well. Okay, so keeping in mind that I've only played the first two worlds, um, I take your point. You know, you you make that comparison to Nintendo's work a lot in uh, in this show. <laughs> I would agree. I would say maybe it's not Nintendo's best work. Uh, but <laughs> if it was Nintendo's work, it wouldn't be their best. You're saying, right? Exactly. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's still, you know, Nintendo doesn't do bad uh, stuff usually. It's very rare. And Astrobot is uh, could be. I can see how it has this kind of uh, magic, this kind of uh, uh, enchantment. You know, it's almost Disney-like in that sense. And you have your little character, the animations, the fact that you will have it on your controller, you bring it close to your face. Um, that's actually something I've, that my recent experiences have made me uh, think about with VR. It's that it's not so much the depth of the VR that is interesting, what you see, you know, in the world around you. What's really striking is when you bring something close to you, that's something yeah. that your TV can't really create in any way. Um, and and yeah. Astrobot does that a lot. And um, and th- there's, it's definitely, I, I, I don't know what per- kind of person you would have to be to play Astrobot and not smile at least a few times right. during the game, right? Do not have some kind of sense of joy uh, flew through, through you um, with this game. It is joyful. It is really well done. It's worthwhile. Um, I'm not quite as enthusiastic as you guys. Maybe the, the next worlds will get me there. Um, but it's definitely a really fun... It's a great 90s platformer game imagined for VR. It has all of the uh, tropes, you know, the, the little secrets and the number of guys you have to get. And yeah, it's it's a great, it's a good game between good and great, I would say. And VR think, is, yeah. Having not finished it yet myself, but I think where it shows its brilliance in those early levels is in trying to collect all of the uh, guys you need to rescue. And so later it starts doing things that, I don't want to say forces, but shows more creativity, perhaps even I should say even more creativity, perhaps in the get from A to B part of the game. But in those earlier levels, finding all of the little astrobots, there are little magical moments of looking somewhere, exploring somewhere, realizing that this part of the world is way over here using the 3D sound. Um, I think P- PSVR does a really good job of simulating with the, the earbuds. And those moments are really, really special. It does highlight my biggest nit with the game, which is, I didn't even say problem, I said nit, and that sometimes I feel like that camera as it moves with you moves before I think it's going to or too far, where I'm trying to move my little guy, because I hear the guy and I think I can explore this space to go around a back ledge to get him. There isn't a back ledge. And I'm like, oh, I'll go back to this other way. Well, crap, I can't get back there. That's my only knit, but exploring yeah. those spaces is really fun. Well, you can't turn you're right around about and, and look back and, and bring your guy there. Yeah, sometimes, but your pedestal that your floating robot head in the world in, at least for me, blocks that a few times where I, it's easier for me to reload than, than not, and that's unfortunate. But again, minor, minor critique. Yeah, no, I agree. There, there are a couple of moments where the challenge is not moving the camera forward because you can't move it back. But yes, uh, very, very rare. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, Patrick, I can't wait for you to play some of the later levels, some of the things that it gives you as far as what your controller turns into and allows you to do are just delightful. 
anytime you step on what I call the magic carpet, which is like the little, yeah, uh, the pad that he gets on that takes you to a new part of the level. Anytime you step on that in this game is like the happiest moment because I know the game's about to show me something really cool. Uh, there's like a roller coaster moment that's like straight out of Sonic the Hedgehog. It, it, I mean, it's it has so much waiting for you. Every level has got a cool idea in it. It's it's so good. Yeah, I, I'm really excited, and I will say um, these past few weeks have made me change my change my tune a little bit about VR. I was underwhelmed. Uh, I will say if PlayStation Five has a new version of the PlayStation VR that launches at the same time and that is that doesn't require 15 million different cables um you know you can even if it, it if it does require a cable you just plug one in and you're done uh i think it could be a really compelling uh piece of hardware which i wouldn't have thought uh you know even 6 months ago so it, things are happening yeah well i'm i'm very encouraged i feel like um Sony understands that this is a viable platform and I'm, I'm really hoping that there's an Astrobots 2 and that they continue to you know build with these great titles and this great momentum they've got over the last month. I know. Um, Christian, have you had a chance to try Evasion yet? I have not. Just on uh, VR General just for quick before you move to Evasion. Uh, I know game development is hard and difficult, but I think that had Astrobot been Lucky's Tale and launched with Oculus, I mm. you know like had Lucky's Tale been to Astrobot's quality, I think yeah. the conversation around VR would have been pretty different over the last few years. I really enjoyed Lucky's Tale, yeah. but it is just a platformer in VR, and Astrobot feels like a platformer made for VR. Mm-hmm. That's it's a good that. way to put it. Yeah. yeah, Astrobot is a good game, regardless. As you said, you know, it, it deserves to be in the conversation with other games, uh, whether, whether or not you're talking about VR. Well, I think the the fact that they made Lucky's Tale 2 out of VR is all you need to know about how <laughs> essential that was for Lucky's Tale as the franchise. But um we we can talk about Evasion in a in a later week. Um it's it's really cool. It's basically a first person shooter slash bullet hell shooter, uh which I've never quite seen anybody do before, and that alone is is pretty compelling and interesting. Uh we'll we'll talk about it because I know Christian, you'll be able to play it. And well, we I wanted to play it. I will just say that Tetris Effect is devious in that it doesn't, you don't stop when you clear a level. <laughs> you don't go back to the map. It's just like you yeah. transition and you're like, oh, I guess I'm still on that same level. Cut to two yeah. hours later and you beat the game. You know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's sneaky. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, all right. So now we're going to go to a conversation that I had uh, for tabletop time with John Perkis from Actual Lol. But first, uh, let me tell you about uh, our final sponsor, which is Hymns. You know, off too often, there are things as guys that uh, happen to our bodies <laughs> that we are embarrassed about. We don't really want to go to the doctor and talk about. Um, 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And when you start to notice hair loss, oftentimes it's already too late. But, uh, you know, also um, erectile dysfunction is a real thing and affects people. Uh, and there are a lot of kind of nefarious online scams that can, can be around that try to mislead you. It's good to be able to have a place that maybe you can avoid the embarrassment of or the discomfort of having to make an appointment and go in and talk to a real person uh, in person, but also is legitimate and not 
snake oil, <laughs> not a, not a skeevy place. Um, these are prescription solutions backed by science. This is, this is hymns. This is a place uh, built to alleviate that problem of maybe not getting the thing treated that you want treated because you keep putting it off. Cause you're a guy like me. <laughs> I put things off that when they're uncomfortable to me, uh, you don't want to turn to a weird solution or do nothing when you can actually get real medicine to help you. And forhims.com is the one-stop shop for hair loss, for sexual wellness, and skin care for men. Christian knows this. I was just telling him that I've recently started doing something I should have done years ago. I knew I should have done it years ago, but it's exactly this problem. I put it off. I should have been taking care of my skin. I should have been moisturizing. I should have been doing all those things, but I'm a dumb dude who just doesn't want to deal with that and I'm lazy and I don't want to think about it. Hims is a place for all that stuff. You can, uh, you can go and you can get the things you need from uh, a, a, a real prescription. Hims connects you with real doctors, with medical grade solutions to treat these things, to treat hair loss. It's great. And if you order now, our listeners, DLC listeners, can get a trial month of Hims for just $5 right now, today, while supplies last. You see the website for details, but this would cost you hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to forhims.com slash DLC. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash DLC. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash DLC. Time for some tabletop time, and I am very excited. It's it's the holidays. We're getting ready uh, to uh, put our lists together of things we might want to, under the tree or uh, wrapped in packages or maybe to give to others. And I am very pleased because I have an awesome guest to help me finalize my list, maybe help you finalize your list of things you might want to ask for and or give and or play this holiday season. And that is John Perkis from Actual Law, one of my favorite board gaming personalities, one of my favorite board gaming channels on YouTube, Actual Law. If you're not subscribed, you should be. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm such a fan of your passion and excitement around board games. And I have to admit, I uh, since I've had my second child, I have not played as many of the new hotness uh, lately. And I wanted to have you on specifically to maybe catch me up and catch my audience up on some stuff that's happened fairly recently that people might want to want to know about, might want to pick up this holiday season uh, or uh, or play. And I know that you came equipped with an awesome list of games to recommend to the audience. I'm very excited to dig in. Chiefly among them is a is a game that's already on my list. I have literally asked for this uh, for, from my family, nice. and that is Chronicles okay. of Crime. I'm okay, so great. Good so excited about this game. Yes, uh, it's it's different, and it's it's bringing technology to board games, which we've had a little bit, um, but this one's kind of doing it in a different way. And I know that you love VR. Right. And uh, so it's bringing VR to board games. Although I don't get too excited on that front. It's if you play the game for about an hour, you'll probably be doing VR in the game for maybe five minutes. Um, but it's definitely it doesn't over it doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, and they use the VR in this 
crime game to put you in the crime scene. So maybe someone's been killed, you're going to the murder scene, and then somebody uses their phone as a VR headset, it comes with these glasses, and you look around and you're shouting out to your teammates about the evidence that you see at the scene. So if you see the murder weapon or uh, just some documents or someone's phone, you're shouting that out and then they're trying to find the cards that match that because then when you effectively go back and discuss it all, you've got that information there that you can then scan with the app. So the, the game is very much focused around this app and everything's got a QR code on and you'll be scanning things to ask the game questions really about what you found um, and then you'll be getting information back. And so it's it's quite non-linear in that aspect. Um, there is a crime-solving game called Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which has really inspired this, um, and I love that game. Um, and this one's doing a very similar thing, but the thing that it adds to the genre is that you can decide what questions to ask of people. You don't just go to a place and get like a cut scene where they, you know, they do their talking, you, you don't get the information unless you ask the right question. So if I go and speak to somebody that was a witness at the scene, I need to ask them about that bit of evidence that I saw in the VR headset. And if I didn't see that bit of evidence, then I can't ask them that question. And I need to ask them about the other people involved in the, in the case. And as it expands, there's just more and more things that you can ask. And uh, it's, it's really fun. I, I own uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. I like that game a lot, but I have to admit that with certain people, uh, it, it can come off, I think, a little dry, mm-hmm. a little uh, cerebral mm-hmm. and and slow. Yeah. And this game seems to address that in a lot of ways, one of which is the, is the sort of VR app. But it also feels like because you're scanning things, because the game sort of adapts to how you play it, it isn't relying so much on you know, reading through tons of text and yes. ferreting out clues, right? Yeah, that's definitely a flaw with Sherlock or or something that a lot of people don't like is that you've got to do a lot of reading. And uh, Chronicles definitely cuts down on that. Um, it tends to dwell less on... Sher- Sherlock uh, likes to read a bit like a novel. So it has a lot of flourishes and a lot of padding. And Chronicles, because it's on an app, uh, it keeps the text very simple. So you're pretty much only getting the facts and there's a bit of taste there. I, I like the Sherlock style. Chronicles is just really straight to the point. Um, and the writing, I would say, is not at, not as good, but um, in, in terms of the theme that it carries. Uh, but yeah, it definitely gets you just getting the information. And I think people that might have found Sherlock a bit boring are going to be a bit more in with Chronicles. The only downside is that it is all happening on that app on your phone. So you're sort of deciding, are you going to share the phone, like hand it between you? That's kind of what we do. I tend to just play this with my girlfriend. Um, I think it works really well as a two-player game. Uh, it, it could even work as a solo game. And if you're playing with maybe four people, it's like, are you just going to pass the phone around so you all have take turns to scan QR codes? But actually scanning QR codes isn't that much fun. Really, the fun is obviously the discussion and the learning the information and stuff. Right. Uh, well, you have another detective game on your list as well, another crime-solving game. It's actually called Detective, right? A modern crime game? Yeah, I mean, it feels a bit weird to be talking about two games that are so similar, but this is the other side of it. If Chronicles of Crime is an entry-level game that I could honestly recommend to almost anyone, the rules are like two pages, and then you're straight in. As long as you know how to use a mobile phone app, you're playing. Uh, with Detective, 
it's not that the rules are any more complicated, but the cases are more involved. And so you're going to be playing maybe for three hours per case. And the stories are that bit more richer and harder to um, untangle. And what the cool twist about this game, and I guess this is the thing, is you've got to find a twist that elevates it above Sherlock Holmes' Consulting Detective, is that it has real-world information in terms of solving the case. So it will give you points at which it will give you something, and then it's effectively just asking you to go away and search on the internet. And so you might be looking on Wikipedia. There are times when you're using Google Maps to kind of look at locations, what's closest to each other, or just to kind of research. Um, It's set in uh, a town in the States that I can't remember, Um, but it uses the map of that town. And then um, I don't want to give too much away, but it uses the distances and things like that. And then you'll be uh, be looking up local information. And uh, the first... The first one um, goes back historically. So the first case is using uh, information from World War II. And so you're actually learning stuff while you're playing the game about these fascinating uh, stuff about World War II. And it's like an ARG. Yeah, it's, it's really, it, it's just so different. And it really immerses you because you really feel like a detective. And you've got all these different notes that you've taken laid out on the table, along with a bunch of cards that the game has given you. And then you've also got your laptop because not only are you searching on Google, but the game has a police database. So you go through, uh, you might have like an interrogation with a witness or a suspect and you're reading that interview and it's long and and that's what's happening on the laptop. Another thing that they do is that they give you the stress levels of the uh, the character when they're being interrogated, which reminds me of the game L.A. Noir. Um, yeah and uh it's not something that they use a lot um but there will be expansions to this game and it's just another cool twist that you've just never seen in any other board game and really immerses you makes you feel like you're a detective and so when you're having those discussions it's the same with sherlock it's the same with chronicles you are having discussions about why do you think someone did something you're talking about real world actions and motives and you're using your own knowledge of life and people and i just love that because it it's doing exactly what it's trying to do which is make you feel like a detective yeah yeah you're not gaming the game you're actually uh playing out the, you know you're role playing as as what the character might be doing yeah. it's super cool um you you brought up uh, a relationship of that game to a video game i notice uh, another game on your on your list that i think probably in a lot of people's minds uh would be related to one of the biggest games of the year red dead redemption 2 yeah because you have western legends here which is sort of trying to do the same thing that a big open world western role-playing game would do except on the table absolutely and that's why i put it on the list i'm I've been playing Red Dead Redemption just as much as everyone else. And I, I've been listening to the podcast. You, you guys have obviously been talking about it a lot. And yeah, the, that is the, I, I, they haven't, I don't know if they've ever explicitly said that it's trying to be Red Dead. I don't know if you can get away with that, but th- this is really the intent behind the game is that it's a sandbox board game, um, which is rare for a board game. There's only a few of them around. They're incredibly hard to pull off and you play as a character and, you can choose what you do. So you can go and play poker to make money. You can go to the general store to buy a new horse or to upgrade your weapons. 
you can rob a bank, you can prospect for gold, you can rustle cattle, and you can decide whether you want to be a good guy or a bad guy. So you can, there's an outlaw track and a martial track. And so if you do bad things in the game, like rustle cattle or rob other players, then you'll go further up this outlaw track. That's going to get you loads of points. But then that gives the opportunity for the other players to play martial to try and arrest you. And that's going to move them up the martial track. And when you get arrested, you lose all of your credentials because you're no longer cool anymore. You got arrested. And so that uh, those points that you were getting every turn, you're no longer getting. So there's uh, it, it, that even is thematic in the sense of like being a bad guy is hard. And uh, whereas being a good guy in this game is kind of a bit more safe, a bit more secure. Um, and yeah, you can do what you want. There's loads of different ways to get points. And you tell a different story every time. You play a different character that's based on a like a classic Wild West character. They will give you a bit of a lean uh, in terms of the direction, the way you start the game. And uh, yeah, it's it, it it isn't a natural storytelling game in the sense you don't read loads and loads of text, but you really tell a story in the interactions you have. It's a very interactive game, so you have to like attacking other players effectively so you've got to be prepared to lose all of your money because you got robbed by someone or prepared to lose all of your wanted level because you know somebody arrested you uh but i love games like that and uh and it and it does it really well it's also quite a simplistic system so the, there's two other sandbox games that are very famous called merchants and marauders and zaya legends of Adrift system and merchants and marauders is great it's a pirate game but it's the rules are complex. Western Legends is surprisingly simple. The game is like long. It will play two to three hours, but it's not that hard to get into because everything happens with these poker cards that you have. They do pretty much all the actions in the game. So if you get into a fight, it's basically who's got the best poker card. If you play poker, it's obviously who's got the best poker cards. And if you uh, it, there's other actions in the game, it comes down to those cards, but they are multi-use. They also have actions on that can do other things. And and it's that decision as to how you best use your hand is uh, is really how the game goes. That's so cool. It seems like such a thematic, interesting way to do it. Yes. Uh, I'm dying to try this one. And it, I think Sandbox is such a difficult thing to pull off well. Um, but I'm, I'm so curious to, to play at it. Again, that's called Western Legends. All right, what else you got on your list? So I wanted to talk about a bunch of different games. Western Legends is a bit heavier. Detective's kind of heavier. Chronicles is entry level. So if you're looking for more of a family game, then there's one that's just come out, which is very appealing, I think, for Christmas. It's called Men at Work. This is a dexterity game. So we're thinking like Jenga, and it's from the company Pretzel Games that made Junk Art, which I think you talked about on the podcast a while back. That's my favorite dexterity game. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and Men at Work has got a really cool theme where you are building a construction site. So it has these amazing meeples, these little wooden guys with plastic hard hats and uh, a bunch of big wooden sticks that represent girders. You've got these tiny little bricks. And on your turn, you're just having to add to this construction site and try to balance things. So it's a stacking game. And if things fall off on your turn, you lose a, a safety certificate. So you make a mistake, you get punished for it, you might uh, lose the game. But what you're also trying to do, which is kind of pushing you in the other direction, 
is to place the highest piece on the construction site. So that will win you the employee of the month award. And so every time... Sort of like inverse Jenga. It's the opposite of Jenga, right? Jenga, you're taking pieces away. Yes. In this game, you're adding pieces. Yeah, exactly. And the game is telling you what to do each round. So you don't get to choose. You can't just pick whatever you want. So you'll flip a card and it might tell you to put a worker in or it might tell you to add a girder to the to the site. And then when you add that thing, what you're trying to do is make it so it reaches the highest point in the whole construction without anything falling off. And it's so difficult, but it, it pushes you to take those risks. And then of course it, it creates those big moments where everything collapses. It's just, it's a lot of fun and it looks incredible. Um, just like Junkart, it, it, it's not necessarily like my favorite dexterity game in the world, but it has such a cool, funny theme and is so appealing um, to look at that I think it just kind of sells itself in that respect. I had so much fun with uh, Meeple Circus recently, mm. which is sort of a similar idea, yeah. but that is your own little tableau that's just yours. And this shared idea, I think, even adds another layer of, yes, of zany. I, yeah, that's what I love about it is having to kind of work together. Yeah, and everything's falling down and you can screw up the next person because you you make the tower so impossibly imbalanced that then when they put, place their piece, they're going to have to fail, yeah. I also noticed you put a, a word game on here. I love word games, and uh, I think this is um, a newer word game called Word Slam. Yes, um, I'm a huge fan of party games. I cover a lot of them on my channel, and Word Slam is one of my favorites. I know that uh, you've talked a lot about Codenames, and Codenames is an absolute modern classic of a party game. Word Slam is in that similar genre of trying to get your team to guess something. So you're playing on two teams, and they can be as big as you like, really. One person on each team is trying to get their team to guess something, so they're assigned the same thing. So it might be a word or a phrase, for example, like Jurassic Park or Justin Bieber or whatever, and... The way they're having to describe that thing is by using these simplistic words. So a deck of nouns, verbs, and adjectives. So it's it's just describing stuff. So like big, small, there's colors in there, old, and it, it's simple things like technology. Or So it's it's kind of obtuse, the words that you get to use. You'll never get the words that you want. And so you're having to combine them together. So for Jurassic Park, they're not going to have the word dinosaur, but maybe they'll have like old animal big or something and then of course your team are just shouting out answers trying to guess what's really funny is that because you're both guessing the same thing you can hear the other team guessing and so even if your clue giver is giving you terrible clues you can hear what the other team are guessing and that's going to lead you in a direction and uh and you're racing to get there first so there's a real tension code names can be quite thinky. It can also be a little bit quiet as you're waiting for your clue to be given. Uh, Word slam is a lot more stressful and louder and uh, frantic. And I really love that energy. So I think it's a really great one to be playing at Christmas because anyone can play it really. And uh, they they also just uh, released Word Slam Family, which is basically the same thing, but like a smaller box and a cheaper version. So depending on which one you want to get, they're both great. Fantastic. Uh, Clank is a game that I've known about for a while. Uh, it's, it's not super new, but I know that there's a new expansion for Clank and you're a big fan of that game, right? Yeah, I think, uh, Clank is just, it's just one that I wanted to highlight again because it, 
it's just different and fun. And I, I kind of think I was trying to think of what would be great for a video game audience. And I don't know what criteria I was using, but Clank just seemed to fit that. Um, so the, the theme is that you're racing into a dungeon to steal treasure. And what's cool is it, it uh, the way the game plays really makes you feel that theme in a way that a lot of card games don't and clank is a deck building card game so this is inspired originally by a game called dominion and the way deck building games work is that you're buying cards to improve your deck and so every turn you're going to be flipping over cards from your deck and hoping that you get those new great cards trying to keep building and building to get better and better and in clank you're using those cards to move through this dungeon as fast as possible and to steal this treasure from the dragon the longer you spend in the dungeon, though, there's kind of a push your luck aspect. You're going to make noise, or what the game calls clank, and add these cubes to this bag. So when the dragon attacks, you'll be drawing cubes out, and it might be you, it might be another player, and that, and you will lose health based on who the dragon attacks. So you can really gamble. You can make loads and loads of noise, be really fast and loose with your robbing, and the dragon might never get you. So uh, because of what cubes come out, of course, it's much more likely to happen. You can also race into the dungeon and just run straight out again. Um, and that will expedite the the dragon attacking all the other players. So there's a real risk and reward thing. The further you go into the dungeon, the better the treasure you'll get, but you're way more likely to never get out alive. And so again, just like Western Legends tells a really fun story, but with a relatively simple gameplay system. And that's just why I love it. And yeah, there are loads of expansions. This is a really popular game. So if you get into Clank, you can you can uh, have different maps, different uh, adding in loads of different cards. It's just, it, it's endless, really. And I think I've been pr- mispronouncing it because it does have an exclamation point. Appearance. <laughs> so I think I should be saying Clank. Yeah. Something along, along exactly, those lines. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and then you also have a couple of uh, of real time games. Mm. Uh, I love real time games because they're frenetic and crazy and zany and stressful in all the best ways. Uh, tell me about those. Yeah, so uh, a tale of pirates and kitchen rush. They're not really related in except that yeah, they both are real time games and they both use sand timers in a really cool way. They both came out last year and. I fell in love with both of them and it's weird because you would expect normally in the kind of reviewer world to say that you like one more than the other and have to kind of choose your favorite child or whatever. I just like both of them. They both do things slightly differently, but you're, you're placing your sand timers down as workers. So to do an action um, and telepirates is set on a pirate ship and kitchen rush is set in a kitchen running a restaurant you are placing a sand timer and you can't move that worker again until the sand timer's run out. So you're having to wait for it to do its thing. And then you're worrying about maybe another sand timer that you can place. And a tale of pirates, you're working cooperatively on this pirate ship. So you're placing your sand timer to raise the sails so you can move faster, to change the direction of your ship, to fire the cannons at enemy ships, to use the crow's nest to look at threats from other ships and stuff. And it's great for teamwork, that one, because you only you start off the game with only one sand timer. So whilst that sand timer is going down, you really have to discuss with the other players, what are you going to do next? Because if you choose the wrong thing and you don't work together, if you raise the sail when the other player wanted to actually move the ship, then it's not going to work. You're, you're, 
the ship is going too fast to be able to change direction. And it, there's just, you really have to collaborate and coordinate. And uh, it's, it, it comes with this incredible 3D pirate ship and it just looks amazing on the table. Kitchen Rush is the best way to describe it is that it's overcooked the board game. And, right. and it's just like overcooked in the sense that it's chaotic and frantic and you're having to do all the things. You're having to get the ingredients and put it in the oven and then serve it up to the tables and you're getting in each other's way because I'm trying to cook my dish while someone else is trying to get the ingredients that I want. And um, it's there's just it really captures that frantic feel of trying to run a restaurant. And that's what I love about both of them really is that they feel thematic and you, because they're real time cooperative games, you're, you're stressed out the whole time. That's kind of the the thing, but you feel completely immersed the whole time and everything you do makes sense in that theme. And I just really love games like that, 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 that make you feel part of the world that it, they're trying to create. Man, this has been such a fantastic list. Uh, I will go through the games again to uh, refresh people's minds. Uh, Chronicles of Crime, Detective, a modern crime game, uh, Western Legends, Word Slam, Men at Work, Clank, and then A Tale of Pirates and Kitchen Rush. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome list. Uh, so many things that I want to put on, on my Christmas list, my holiday wish list. Uh, but, you know, I have to – before you go, I have to say – that uh, the by far the most common question I get from people about tabletop games is, can you give me some recommendations of games that are good for two players? Oftentimes people are like, hey, my significant other and I would like to play something together. We don't often have an opportunity to get more than just the two of us. What are great two-player games? And I have my stable of two-player games that I refer <laughs> recommend to people over and over and over again. But I'd love to hear how you would answer that question. Yeah. Um, I love couples games as well. That's kind of how I got into it. And, uh, I play a lot with my girlfriend and I've made a whole bunch of videos on the topic. I think when I, when somebody asks me that question, my mind always goes to Onitama, um, mm. which is such a simple game. Uh, it's, it's a two player abstract game that is inspired by chess, but don't be, don't be necessarily scared or put off by that. It's, it plays in sort of 10, 15 minutes. You have five pieces on either side. You're playing against each other. And the way you control these pieces is with cards. So a card will tell you that you can move maybe up, down, left, right, or diagonal in both direction. When you make a movement, you spend that card and it goes to the other player. And then one one of their cards will come to you. So these cards are always rotating. So there's only ever five moves that you can do in the whole game. And so you're planning ahead by looking at the cards that will be available to you. If I play that card now, then I won't be able to move my piece diagonally next turn. And oh, then I'm in a position where they're going to get that card and they're going to be able to take my piece. Just like in chess, you're taking pieces or you can win by getting your king piece to the other side of, uh, to their, basically their home space. It looks incredible. So I, I always see it as a really great gift for, for couples or to buy for your partner because it comes with these, I don't even know what they're made of. They've just got these wonderful figurines and this amazing neoprene play mat. And, uh, it, it just couldn't be simpler, but with 
plenty to think about and loads of replayability because every time you play, there's going to be a different set of cards. So a different puzzle to work out how best to when to play these cards and what to watch out for. Again, that's called Onitama, O-N-I-T-A-M-A. And I'll have all these games also in the show notes uh, if you want to refer to them. Uh, John, this has been phenomenal. Uh, I love chatting with you. I love watching your videos. Uh, I love your enthusiasm for board games. And I'm so pleased that you you made the time to do this. Thank no, you so thanks much. Thanks for having me. It was great. I, I love to have the opportunity to just talk about board games and get them out into the world. That's kind of yeah. the thing. So yeah, it, thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, it's an honor. Well, we'll do this again sometime. I appreciate it. And, and happy holidays. Yeah, and you. Ha- happy holidays. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have our parting gifts coming up, so stick around for that. But Patrick Beja, thank you so much for being here. You're so much fun. I wish we could do this more often. I wish we could as well, but sadly, I live far away you do you live around if if only the earth was flat jeff (laughs) if If only i i look at your instagram pictures and i think you live in paradise though is it does it feel like paradise as you live there well until a couple of weeks ago when now it's eternal darkness uh it was (laughs) now a little bit less good game though good game (laughs) well you know, it was nice while it lasted, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 lovely. I live in the Finnish countryside, and uh, it's such an amazing place to live and to raise a child. It's I I love it. We made the jump from the city a couple of uh, a couple of a few months ago, and we've been very happy. That's wonderful. Well, um, I love your shows. I think I'm going to be on Pixels soon. Uh, you and I have yes. been talking about that. Um, but tell people all the different things that you do and where they can find you. Oh, uh, well, so many things. So first of all, Pixels is a show about games, as you mentioned. And if you enjoy this show, you probably would enjoy Pixels as well. Uh, if you speak French, you might want to listen to Le Rendez-vous Tech, which is a show about tech, as the name implies. So go check out Le Rendez-vous Tech. And if you enjoy different opinions uh, you might want to listen to the phileas club which is a show where i get people from different parts of the world different cultures different backgrounds and we talk about the news and try to listen to one another and to understand what other people think and uh we've been doing that for a while and it's working out pretty well uh, if you want to i'm not going to spell out the name of that show just go to frenchspin.com and you'll find the links from there frenchspin.com very, very cool. I love all the stuff you do, man. It's awesome. Uh, Christian Spicer, what do you got coming up this week? Well, I'll be, I'll be uh, in the Wild West, as discussed. That's where I will be this week. Um, but people listening, there's still time to go to cottonbureau.com, search for Play Games, Be Nice, and you can get your summer game, but good for any time of the year. There it is on the chat. Uh, shirt. And they still say there's a good chance they'll show up by Christmas, if that's what you're trying to do for U.S. customers. Um, but the proceeds go to St. Jude and they help kids beat cancer. So you look good, feel good. Cottonbureau.com and then search for play games. Be nice. Then you can follow me on Twitter at Spicer, Instagram, Christian underscore Spicer. And this show, except for when I'm out of town, I live stream on my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. I have a couple of podcasts for you to listen to, uh, the Slash Filmcast, where we talk about movies and TV shows, uh, is over at SlashFilmcast.com. 
And uh, I also, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata two ends and one T. Uh, if you want to email the show, it's dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. Any questions or comments you might have, all welcome there. Uh, and the uh, the subreddit over at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. All right. Uh, let us do our parting gift and wrap the show up now. Hey, give us a suggestion. Patrick, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I would have a million, but I'll just limit <laughs> myself to two. Uh, very quick one, uh, super fun. Cobra Kai is mm. a great show. Have you have you seen it, Jeff? I've watched the first three episodes, uh, but uh, I have had I I have not. Uh, oh my god, that. you weren't you weren't wrapped enough into the magic of Karate Kid. To, uh. to continue it okay well obviously you have very poor taste but uh, <laughs> and christian as well because he only watched the first two and didn't want to pay for youtube premium to to watch the rest it's a great show um what's really magical about it is that it casts the two main characters or the bad guy and the good guy from uh, karate kid and it also has a parallel storyline with the the kids from today and they kind of look at the old guys so the old guys act like people were written back when karate kid first uh aired and the new guys look at them and think this is kind of weird the way you're considering things and the way like it's confronting the two generations but for us having known karate kid back then we 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 are used to that and we're also in today's world and thinking, well, maybe it's not so, you know, appropriate to say things like this or super well written. I really recommend it. The second Cobra thing, Kai, that's on YouTube. Go ahead. Yes, Cobra Kai on YouTube. And uh, apparently they're going to, as we were discussing with Christian before the show started, uh, it's going to go free supported with ads very soon. So it will be available for everyone. Uh, oh, the really? second thing is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, uh, which is a book written by uh, Yuval Noah Harari, who you might have heard about for his uh, very famous book, Sapiens, A Brief History of, Me of Humankind. And he speaks about all of the changes that we have been going through as a world and societies and what is going to happen in the next few decades. Um, really interesting. I don't agree with everything he says, but he looks at things and explains things that have been happening that have been puzzling us. Um, and, and the way he frames uh, the, the events from the past few years is is super interesting and he brings perspective to some of the things that we think might be uh, uh, devastating and, and points out other things that we don't think about so much. Um, really fascinating guy. 21 Lessons for the 21st Century is a really good book I would recommend. Awesome. I would love to check that out. Uh, Christian, what about you? Mine is also a book. I might have mentioned it earlier when I started it. I got it from the library and wasn't able to finish it. And then I had to take it back and it hasn't been available again. But Star Wars Bloodline by Claudia Gray, and it kind of bridges the gap about what happens after the good guys win in Star Wars. And then in episode seven, when the good guys are 
have not won again. Um, but a friend and people that people listen to the show probably know Nicole Z. Let me borrow her copy. Friend and fellow Star Wars enthusiast, let me borrow her copy. So I'm not bound by the strict return periods of the library. And I can keep it as long as Nicole Z keeps me as a friend. Um, <laughs> but it's a fantastic well, technically book. You I'm could st- keep it forever. I mean, you don't have to return it to her. That's true. I, the book is probably more valuable than my friendship with her. So uh, <laughs> the cost of my book is one twenty four ninety nine hardback. Um, but I, I like Claudia, Glaze, Claudia Gray's writing. I really enjoy this book. Uh, again, maybe being a little over halfway through it right now but kind of dealing into the nitty gritty and the politics of the Star Wars universe and explaining about why things kind of went south and what happened in in a supposed paradise, right, coming out of the last um, original Star Wars after Return of the Jedi. And you see that um, it's hard to keep everybody happy. And if you haven't read it, I'd recommend picking it up. Star Wars Bloodline by Claudia Gray. Got a listener-suggested parting gift. This comes to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It comes from Michael from Pachogu, New York. Is that right? Did I say that completely wrong? Pachogu? Anybody heard of that place in New York? Oh, anyway. Patch of Goo. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> He's sending this to us from a patch of goo in New York, which honestly is all of New York. Anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Michael, so nice to send this in. He says, uh, this week we had the unfortunate passing of Steven Hillenburg, the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants. For many kids who have grown up in the past few generations, including my own, this his impact on our childhood could be compared to that of Stan Lee himself. With that, I'd like to recommend the first three seasons of SpongeBob. There's great stuff throughout the show's long history, but that first three seasons stick out to me as particularly great and having lasting appeal for kids and adults alike. Three episodes I would recommend in particular are Ripped Pants, Pizza Delivery, and Chocolate with Nuts. Thank you, Michael. That is a lovely suggestion. I'm, I was never a SpongeBob guy. I think I was aged out of it, but uh, I, I recognize it as being a big cultural touchstone and one that is beloved. Uh, so, yeah, very cool. I was sad to hear of that passing as well. My parting gift uh, is a movie probably doesn't need me to recommend it, but if there's any chance that you're not going to see Creed two this weekend or soon in movie theaters, rectify that immediately. It is great. The first Creed also great. If you haven't watched that, watch that, then go see Creed two because it's perfect. It builds upon everything. It calls back to everything that you would want it to in the first movie. It also is this magical thing where Things that happened 30 years ago have meaning now. It's it's an incredible time we are in movies that didn't really exist before now where uh, a generation passes and movies actually have weight. Like when a character in the Creed movies looks at a picture that's hanging in a restaurant and that picture is from a movie that happened 30 years ago and you know what happened in that from that picture and they go and they relate to it because they're 30 years older and it's just cool. That is cool. And uh, the movie is very well done. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is awesome and ripped. You know it's the great. sentence diagram, right? It's, it's, is Michael B. Jordan in it? Is it called Fantastic Four? If no, go see it. Like, that's, that's <laughs> right. all you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's if true. It is that's true about Fantastic Four. One, I was amazed by how good, you know, essentially Rocky 15 was. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is. And uh, 
Uh, Stallone's great in it. It it manages to actually br- make Ivan Drago a three dimensional character instead of a cartoon character from Rocky Four. Oh, I can't. It's it's really good. It's really good. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Patrick Beja and Christian Spice for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat rooms for hanging out with all of us in real time, even though it was a little earlier today. We really appreciate you guys being there, making the show better in real time. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L. Sean Madigan and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. Thanks to uh, uh, John Perkis for being here as well. And thank you to you, for listening. We appreciate you downloading the show. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.